So I don't know about you, Lucas, but I get all kinds of annoyed when I see people being all like, yeah, look at me. I'm in my office not dying. Don't you? <laughs> and if people wonder what the fuck we're oh on about, I, just a few minutes ago, before the recording of this very podcast, um, uh, we're just checking the channel's um, uh, analytics, as I often do. Um, yesterday's video that went up to date this uh, particular podcast, um, How Dead Space Annoyed the Team Behind the Sims, um, when that went live. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that's when we're recording this. Um, one of the comments on that is, the top left note annoyed me. It's like, hey, look at me. We are safe and woke. And if people aren't um, sure what we're talking about here, because maybe you're listening to this in the future, um, from like your like bombed out nuclear um, uh, saturated cave, <laughs> given where the world appears to be going right now. Uh, uh, as of right now, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, we are recording almost entirely from the office, uh, which is just me stood in front of the camera uh, and talking to either Lucas or Nisha or anyone else who wants to join us on the channel. Uh, much in the same way we're recording this very podcast. And so far, it's been fairly good. No hiccups yeah, so far. Yeah, so we have been... Carl has been in the office. The rest of us have been recording remotely. And it's one of those things where it's going so well that people seem to think that you are in the office with me. Yeah, and that's really weird because, like, even though there's the the little sign that we'll get to, like, people are going, like... Well, why why is like Lucas in the office? I thought he said he couldn't come in. Yeah, and I've, is that I'm not? I've got people legitimately have sent me angry messages of it's really bad for you to say that you're social distancing when you're not. Yeah, and, I've seen that one. Like you keep lying about social distancing. It's like we're really not. We're really not in the office. It's just that the sound quality. We use the exact same microphone on both ends. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, what we do is we have a little note in the top corner of the videos that we um, just workshop right at the very start of lockdown about 19 million yeah. years ago. And just have it, it just says something, I forget the exact wording of it. I'll I'll just bring it up quickly now. Because you'll have like the editing stuff in front of you. Um, I do. Perfect. Wait, what? Oh, you don't. Oh, you've accidentally deleted all this. Oh, God. Uh, Well, my external hard drive is saying it's not connected. That's always good. Okay, in which case, I can just bring up one of my videos. The only thing is, I'm not not subscribed to my own channel. (laughs) That's really annoying. I'm not subscribed to my own channel because I don't like seeing my own videos come up in my thing. But uh, I do like, though, I tried to search for fact, and fact theme was the top suggestion. So that's nice. That's nice. Uh, here we go. It says, this video was filmed during quarantine. Only Carl was present. And that's just to let people know if like they're wondering like, what the hell's going on. And so far, yeah. we've got like 50 videos like that. So um, I've not even noticed it so far. I think most people have just kind of settled into that being the way we record now. But there's just something about the way that's written that seems to really, really annoy some people. Certain types of people get very annoyed by it being there, yeah. Uh, the idea um, that I am trying to um, keep you guys and myself safe um, from the deadly pandemic ravaging the earth. How dare you, Carl? And it's very strange. We had something similar where uh, over the last week or so, a couple of episodes went up there where Nisha was in the office because she was in town pick, uh, and then she was picking stuff up from the office because um, she needs to get the hard drive I ordered. And mm-hmm. while she was there, we can record, but I want to record wearing a mask. Like We were social distancing yeah. the entire time she was there, but I, I said, if you are in the office, I want to you know, put my mask on. And I want mm-hmm. to just get that out there. Like, I am wearing a mask because someone is near me. We are in close proximity to one another inside of a building. We come from different households. We should wear a mask. I feel yeah. I have a moral responsibility to do that so people know that it is what you should be doing. And so many people got mad. 
Yeah, I saw you like pick out a few choice quotes on Twitter and just the fact that people are pissed off. How dare you wear a mask in your video? Yeah, um, just because it annoys them. And the, the, it's the ultimate irony, isn't it, of, oh, it's against my freedom to make me wear this three-inch piece of fabric across my face so old people don't die of a disease. But seeing somebody else use their supposed freedom to do what they want um, to wear that mask annoys them and they tell you to take it off. Yeah, that's always the weird part, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, I have um, I have my freedom, so I decide to not wear a mask. And then they get annoyed that you decide to wear a mask. Yeah, it's almost like they're a hypocrite and they just don't like being told what to do. Yes. And I, I understand that. I don't like being told what to do either. But when I, I'm be, the thing I'm being told to do is take this very basic precaution to safeguard yourself and others. It's like, okay, sure. Yeah, it's like I don't like being told what to do if someone's just trying to be an asshole. If it's like, oh, we're trying to advise you what to do to save other people's lives, it's like, okay then, yeah, I'll start paying attention. Yeah, because it's just it's so simple. And uh, before I forget, welcome to episode, is it 47, 48? I think we're on 49. 49? Ooh, we're getting close to nifty at 50, mate. We are. It's, it's it's getting closer, but uh, I just I just thought it was very and, um, funny. We'll do. We'll be planning um, a big, massive live event with thousands of people for episode fifty. Right. It's the only way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's the only way we can do it. But um, yeah, I just I thought it was really strange, especially considering that just yesterday the prime minister of our country, Mr. Joris Bonson, had to sheepishly go onto the news and talk about how yeah, um, none of the shit we've done is worked. Pretty much just like backpedal a shit ton. Um, and now after telling people, go back to the pubs, go back to the office, they've immediately gone back and said, yeah, um, work from home if you can. Yeah, and still go to the pub if you can. And for, <laughs> yeah, because they shut at 10 now, because we all know the coronavirus, it only gets on shift at, uh, after 10. Yeah, and like that's the weird thing is, I, I get the point is, look, um, if we close at 10, maybe people won't be so far gone. But all they're going like, to do now is just get really pissed all, before 10. Yeah, all they're going to do is get drunk faster. And I will say I've been to the pub once or twice um, since that restriction was lifted. And it is a very okay. somber, strange experience. Mm-hmm. And like, I will put my mask on every time I have to stand up and leave the table that I'm at. Whether it's to go to the bathroom or just like you know, stretch my legs or go outside and get some air. Yeah, sure, yeah. And I... The amount of people not giving a shit is terrifying. Like it makes me, oh, it really? makes me not want to go outside. See, like um, last weekend, we took Cade out, and it was like just like me and Jenna and like my sister with Cade, mm-hmm. and we were outside because of the puppy. So I didn't get to go inside. I didn't go in to go to the toilet or anything. It was all like, um, you know, remotely ordered through an app. Yes. So I didn't really see any of that. So I just saw, oh, it was two o'clock in the day and everyone was still very sober. It was outside. People weren't too cramped. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I, I saw the all right side of it. You see it and you go, there is a way this could work. 
if people are sensible, mm-hmm. but people just aren't sensible. And I just thought that well, was, that's the issue. People aren't sensible, and then alcohol gets involved. And I just thought it was very amusing that the day after uh, the prime minister said we are on the verge of a second lockdown because sh- people cannot be fucking trusted. Everyone mm-hmm. work from home and like lock yourself indoors again. There's a guy going. It really annoys me that you're taking this seriously when the government is floundering for a proper response. And we we can get into the whole thing, but like like. Let's just, you know, leave it a bit more base level, I guess. But yeah, it's very silly to just go like, oh, the people can't be trusted, said the people that like set really bad and unclear rules. And And yes, the public have been absolute morons, I admit, but also take some fucking responsibility. Yeah, it's a a social response. You've got moral responsibility to uh, look out for others, which is I've tried to do my small part of the, yeah, which we discussed in an earlier podcast of I immediately... Um, workshopped ideas and ways for us to all work from home while keeping everybody, uh, you know, sane because they've got something to do and, more importantly, they keep getting paid. Yep. And I try to ensure all of that and, as we like briefly discussed, um, Eve, on the rare occasions people come into the office, I've insisted upon wearing a mask because I want to, like, just um, put out that message and just be on brand of, like, yes, this is a fucking serious thing. Take it seriously because it can fucking kill people and I know people who've um, uh, like had close friends die from it and it's like oh right it's not great and no. they've told me I, I hope i never have to experience this a social distancing funeral and it sounds like the most dystopian shit ever and i hope to god i never ever have to experience that mm-hmm. and it's one of the reasons why i'm trying i'm like so paranoid uh, when it comes to uh, even just leaving the house even just taking the elevator in my building, I'm stood in there wearing a mask in the elevator and people have come in. Yeah. Stuff like that. I and mean, it's really uncomfortable because you can't, you don't want to tell them no, but they'll walk in not wearing a mask and just stand there looking at And it's a face. very small elevator. Of course it is. All elevators are small. And then you... Now, like, obviously, you get those massive ones that you can like fit cargo into, but for the most part, yeah, it was just... Very standard box elevator in your And place. then if you want to take the stairs down, um, there's only one set of stairs and you have to cross people on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Who aren't wearing masks, and it's just oh, it's terrifying. I don't like it. But um, something I did want to discuss though, because it's uh, something we brought up on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I never got around to discussing the response I got to it. And if you remember, Lucas, we had a discussion about representation in video games. Oh, I was just yawning then, but yes, yeah. we did. Um, specifically, we used the example of Super Smash Bros. the series. Yes. Uh, to highlight just how poor representation is in gaming uh, by posing the question of, can you think of a single character um, who is a person of colour who could realistically make it into a Smash Bros game? And we have the two ostensibly very simple criteria of, and they have to be from a series that has not yet been represented in Super Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. And that you believe they're iconic enough to be the representative from that entire series. Because um, in Smash Bros, they often only get one character to represent an entire series. I think like Cloud. Especially um, third-party characters, yes. which is more likely to occur since Nintendo apparently have not made almost any like people of colour in their video games. Yeah, so you think you think of like Metal Gear Solid, represented by Snake. Um, Final Fantasy as a series, represented by Cloud, like the most iconic character um, probably in all of gaming. Uh, he's up there with Mario. And it's like, yeah, he's he's there. Like, Cloud deserves that spot. And the other criteria was they have enough screen time in whatever game they happen to appear in to have a full moveset, uh, which mm. consists of a four moves, 
essentially. Which is like... Yeah, and like, just generally following a moveset of like, well, they could do something that enhances their jumping uh, for like their special move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they generally just have enough reference that isn't, well, they punched or shot something. Yes, and... Um... I I thought it was a really interesting conversation, and I'm I was genuinely curious. Can anybody out there think of someone that we may have missed? And I tweeted that out about a week, two weeks ago, and the responses were exactly as depressing as we anticipated. Because do you remember, uh, like one of the things I'm not sure if we said it on the podcast or privately in the discussion we had afterwards, um, mm-hmm. like what people would do when they heard that, and remember what in the podcast where we did it. And what people yeah. saw that question as. Yes, and it would be kind of like, oh, well, I will name X person from like either a non-iconic character or like a character that will not ever make sense in a fighting game like Smash Bros. Yes, uh, or people see it as a challenge to just name a black person from a video game. which All, all that, and it'll always be the... It would mostly end up being the same like five names yeah and if you remember when we did it on the um, stream that one evening all it was uh, was people just naming black characters to the point where i said the question wasn't to just name black characters it is this very specific set of criteria i want you to think about this question and people came in and just kept naming the same five characters yeah people just kept going like lee from the walking um, dead lee from walking dead and like what is it, Sergeant Johnson yeah. from Halo? And the only response to that is, what Sergeant Johnson's up be? And also, when the criteria is, they are, like, the iconic character from that series. Yeah, so people just ignored the two criteria, which I think speaks volumes about just how poor the representation is in games, that people mm-hmm. have to ignore these two very simple criteria that you could... You can answer this question for a character who's white. You can answer this question yeah. for a character who's an anthropomorphic animal. Anthropomorphic animals get more representation in video games than like an entire race, which is mm-hmm. like abysmal. But I just thought we'd go through some of the responses just to see how well they fit uh, with our prediction that people will just name either bad characters or just uh, you know completely ignore the question and see it as a challenge to name a black person, which is, yes. you know, that's not hard. Everyone can name a black person. It's like you want people to think about it more than at all. So we have... <laughs> The first one, uh, we're getting a new Spider-Man game with Miles Morales. Thoughts? Well, I mean, Miles Morales would be great, but a a little caveat that we didn't mention there was the whole entire Smash Bros. series has a rule that's like precedent that you did mention um, in your tweet Mm -hmm. when you put it out that they have to be originally from a video game. Like, yes. It, Miles Morales does not count because he originates from comic books. Yeah, and as does like every character people are currently scrambling to think of. And then we've got the other one, um, Eddie Gordo from Tekken. And again, like I um, I think I mentioned Eddie Gordo. Like I responded to one of these. Yeah, this Gordo, is one that like, you responded to. Because all you named, um, named Eddie Gordo... Um, uh, Jade and Jax from Mortal Kombat, Zazamel from Soul Calibur, and then Lincoln Clay from Mafia 3. It's like when the character you're naming is from Mafia 3, maybe yep. like they're not the most iconic character in that series. And it's like the argument, not the argument, but um, kind of the rebuttal that I gave was, look, 
They are good characters. They're interesting characters. They are characters, characters I like. They are interesting characters. Like, but part of the criteria was that they are like the iconic characters from that series. From that series. And that if you put them and in, people wouldn't bitch about it. Because if you put in If you Jax, put in Jax and Jade above Sub-Zero and Scorpion... Yeah, what are you doing? And there's no way and you, if you conceivably argue that Jax is more iconic than Scorpion or Sub-Zero. So it's like it's not a realistic choice. And so all they're really doing is just naming a black person from a video game. And the same can be said yeah. for like Eddie Gordo and Zazamel. Because if you want to put a Soul Calibur rep in, you're going to put in Nightmare. Or like Siegfried or, or Ivy. Um, Ivy. One of, the yeah. big, one of the big three. And then from Tekken, it's going to be one of the, um, the Mishimas. It's going to be Kazuya, Heihachi or Jin. Maybe Yoshimitsu. Yes. Maybe, maybe maybe Yoshimitsu because he's weird and he's been in Soul Calibur as well, so he can be a and similar be a to like Soul Calibur, you could argue Voldo because he'd be a silly choice. But at the same time, like there there are about five other characters you would pick before the one you named, and then yeah. the, the one that I liked. This there was multiple um, uh, suggestions of this. Um, there's probably a few out there. The first that comes to mind is Hella from Prototype Two, and I love how he says there are probably a few, and then names the main character from Prototype Two. Yes, you want to represent an entire series. It's a series of two games in which he's the second one that sold so poorly it killed the franchise. Yeah, and if you said to almost any single person... Who's even aware of that game? Because it's not a popular who is game. Who's even aware of, like, prototype as a series of just name a protagonist or name a character from prototype, gonna... you'd be like Alex Mercer. Or that guy in the hoodie on the front. Because people don't even probably remember his name. Oh, yeah, probably not. Like, that's the thing is, it would probably be, oh, well, there was that guy in the first game that, like, had the hoodie and the, the weird tentacle arm. Yeah. He looked like a Resident Evil 5 villain. The guy in the box. Yeah. And then you have um, multiple, there was multiple uh, suggestions as well. Barrett from Final Fantasy, which, again, just completely ignores the question so they can try and get their answer in. Because Final Fantasy already has a representative, and Final Fantasy VII especially has one in the form of Cloud. Yeah, that's the thing is, it's not even that the series has already been represented. That game has already been represented in Cloud. And if you wanted to argue that, oh, with the release of Remake, maybe they'd want to, like, you know, double down and put another one in, they're going to put Tifa in. Because Tifa yeah. is a way more interesting character in terms of gameplay. Yeah. Like she has a way and, more... And just, like, the, I would say in the ranking of characters, Barrett probably comes, like, fourth in terms of, like... The how iconic they are because I didn't play Final Fantasy 7 when I was younger but the th the th and I knew who Cloud was you know who Aerith is I Aerith. knew who Aerith was I had an idea who Tifa was and I didn't really know much about Barrett yeah. I'd argue like Barrett because it's only because he's in your party from the beginning but like yeah. people probably have a lot more attachment to characters like Vincent or Sid or um, oh, okay. or Yuffie like, Yuffie's one of my favourites like, she was always mm -hmm. like my favourite um, uh, party member and then we had a guy digging deep into the Wii library, the Afro Samurai, a character that originates from a comic book. Yep. Yep. And the, uh, all these, they just go to show out how bad representation is. Like, how about a single Wii game for a comic character that wasn't very good? And then, uh, do you remember the other Wii game representative we got, Carl? Oh, we'll get to that, the Black Baron from Mad oh, World. Oh, God. Um, who's just like super fucking racist looking because that game's all in black and white. So they, he's a black guy, so he has entirely black skin. But how do you know where his mouth is? Oh, let's just give him the big Mr. Popo lips. Oh. Yeah, that's a Japanese game, all right, right there. 
And then we were. And then he's we even just like a really what I would assume is quite an offensive stereotype. Yeah, because he's even got he's got the pimp coat. He's yeah. got like the grill, the gold grill. He speaks in a really uh, stereotypical way. And obviously, like people aren't going to really remember Mad World. If you're going to pick Mad um, World, you'll pick the main character, the guy. It on the reminds box. me of those really like offensive Transformers in one of the movies. Oh, the super racist ones that Michael Bay loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it reminds me of how bad that is. Yeah, with that, like the stereotype, the the jive talking um, uh, Transformers. Yeah, and then you have like the the Asian one who all he talks about is honor. Oh God! Yeah, no. at least he was voiced by he was Ken Watanabe, I think. So he was voiced by an Asian guy. Oh, okay. even still, like, did he need a paycheck that bad? Apparently, so. did he read the like character should go for fuck's sake? That reminds me a little bit. For like, we'll get a little bit sidetracked here, but there is a um, in the series Father Ted. Um, there is a, an episode, a very famous episode, where Father Ted, the titular character. Um, gets mm-hmm. accused of being a racist due to various shenanigans. And it's yes. an episode that's become only more relevant as time has gone on because he accidentally gets outed as... A, like People think he is a racist because the joke is there is a perfectly square piece of dust on his window and he's waving out of his window and like the square piece of dust goes in front of his face and he's a priest, so he's wearing all black, so he looks like Hitler. Yeah. And then there's another bit where he does um, a very, very offensive... Um, uh, in, uh, what's the word now? Imitation of a Chinese person where he puts um, like a lampshade on his head and pulls his eyes to the side. And oh, the God. joke is that there is a Chinese family outside. Mm. And the joke you get is, wait, what? There's, there were Chinese people at the window because they live on this tiny island in the middle of Ireland. It's like, why the fuck are the Chinese people outside my window? And the other person in the scene goes, oh, they're probably on that old Chinatown area on Craggy Island. He goes, there's a Chinatown on Craggy Island? Yeah. How did you not know? And the reason I like this is because that actor who plays the dad, um, there's a behind-the-scenes um, like uh, interview with when they were making that episode, and that mm. actor speaks with a British accent. He's a British actor. Mm-hmm. But um, behind, when they were filming the episode, they kept having to ask him to speak more Chinese. Oh, to, wow. And I just wonder like, how much that actor has probably been asked to do that. Yeah. If I, he probably sits there sizing because it's a fucking paycheck. I'm not happy about it, but it's a paycheck of can you be more Chinese? And he's like he's speaking with like a fucking North London accent or something. And it's and just it's like, <sighs> yeah, it, it is one of those of beggars can't be choosers in the world of acting. And it is only when you get to the likes of someone like Ken Watanabe that can probably have sucked it up and refused that paycheck. Yeah, and then you have like Chadwick Boseman, um, a story that came out about him. Uh, was that he quit one of the earliest TV shows he was on because he absolutely refused to play a racial stereotype. Oh, right, cool. And there was an early role they asked him to do something really racial. Like, fuck this. I'm not doing yeah. it. And that's the tough thing is like, yeah, okay, uh, you know, I have my like morals, but I think a lot of people might understand how much of a struggle it can be to be a struggling actor. Yeah, and there's... And one of your first jobs, having the reputation for storming off set. Yeah, you don't want that. Probably not the best. And then you've got uh, Peter Dinklage, um, I believe, in his later career, or his early career, he absolutely refused to play um, any role that kind of be an elf and stuff like that. And then he has, you know, his famous role in Elf. Yeah, where he's getting Where angry. he just, like, beats the shit out of people. Which is why he took that role, I believe. Yeah. He got to, he got to be angry about it. 
Which is fair enough. Yeah, it's like he's just a, in that movie. He just plays a normal guy who gets called an elf. And he, like, imagine how much pent up frustration Peter Dinklage, the actor, had at that moment before he was well known <laughs> yeah. at people calling him an elf. And he just got to beat the shit out of Will Phones, get it all out of his system. <laughs> and then you've got his greatest role ever, which is just he plays a dwarf, but it's a giant dwarf in fucking yeah. <laughs> Infinity War. That's the best casting decision ever. Oh, well, you think about like, a lot of his roles, like with the exception of like, Tyrion, like uh, mm-hmm. Trask in uh, X-Men, yeah. where like the fact that he is a little person is never commented on at whatsoever. Yeah, like, he and, just um, plays the and it's so rare to see that where like, he was hired for that role for his acting ability, not the fact he is a little person. I will say the one thing I dislike about that is they make like the visual gag of, oh man, this guy's so scary, and then he walks in and he's small. Yeah, which I and guess like, he, fuck off. Peter Come Dinklage on. must have to deal with that a lot, and he probably went, yeah, sure. Yeah, like I'll I'll take that bit. I'll, I'll do that, but I'm still not pissed off about it. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting, like. Just that story of the the director having to go over and go, can you be a bit more Chinese? And the actor just sighs and goes, yeah, I can I can dial up the Chinese if you really want me to. I'd just turn around and maybe like put it back on the director. It's like, is that what you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And they, is that really how you want this to go? The funny thing is as well, that actor is also in the show because I recognised him. He's one of those character actors on British TV. So you need a right, Chinese yeah. guy, you get this actor in. And he's in the show Come Fly With Me, if you remember that. Oh, God. The real, uh, the... I, I haven't watched much of it, but I'm very aware of the it. The show, that fun fact, people at home, has been taken off the air for being so racist. And it aired on primetime TV like 10 years ago. And it's an award-winning show, right? Yeah, written by um, two award-winning comedians. who are um, One of them's nice and one of them's a prick. Um, it's David Walliams who's the prick before anyone asks. Uh, he's apparently he's a huge bell end. That's uh, another story. But uh, that actor is also in that show when he plays a confused Chinese man who doesn't speak English and he has to once again dial up the Chinese. And what they do is they have David Walliams' character who is in um, brown face, I believe. So you've got to double up the racism oh, just there a bit. And he's, they say, oh, is this guy who's come from China. Um, no one here speaks um, Cantonese or Mandarin. I forget which one it is. Um, mm-hmm. Can you translate for us? And David Walliams, in full brown face, goes over and does a super racist Chinese accent at this guy. And I'm just thinking, like, that would be amazing to watch the behind-the-scenes thing of how pissed off that actor got at a guy in brown face doing a racist Chinese accent to his face and then hearing the people off-camera howling with laughter at how funny that is. Oh, God. And it's one of those things that you look at and go, this is amazing just because of the fact it got made. Yeah, I think we've mentioned that on the podcast before. Of just like, how did it get through so many different people that all thought this was a good idea? And they all thought it was hilarious. And it was yeah. aired on primetime TV. And just that actor, I feel so bad for him because he must have to just look and go, <sighs> as he's got this guy in brown face making, doing a racist Chinese accent, asking for a joke. And he knows that the guy in front of him is a multi millionaire. Yeah through doing this and he's got like he's a working journeyman actor who's never going to get to the same level of success anyway we can continue uh, the next suggestion we got was the only one that I actually like but I don't I'm not sure if it fits the criteria of Urbosa I mean it doesn't fit the criteria of um, a series that's already been represented or as I mentioned um, 
that is a bit different if you can think of Nintendo characters because mm-hmm. obviously the Mario series, for example, has like uh, arguably five. like somewhere between like seven and twelve representatives, depending on how you count. Because like Yoshi apparently is a representative from the Yoshi series, but he's also in Mario games. And it's like, come on, he's from Mario so, World. Like, so like, is Donkey Kong. Uh, well, Mario's from a Donkey Kong game, there technically. We, technically, yes. Yeah, so it's all it's the Donkey Kong universe, after all. But, uh, <laughs> that's the only one I like. And I don't know what race, specifically, uh, the Gerudo is supposed to be. Um, they're, desert, they're desert people, aren't they? That's the thing, is it's very nebulous, because they're not... like It's just that they're known as the Gerudo tribe, yeah. and it's like, they are women that live in the desert. And they've never really been written to be representative of any singular race. To my knowledge, I, I've normally played the game. Uh, Not as far as I'm aware, but like they um, do obviously have like darker tanned skin, and they borrow elements from certain cultures. Like they very uh, there's very yeah, like yeah. A, an Arabic Persian influence in the way the Gerudo dress, but that could just and, be a stylistic um, choice. Generally, in a lot of uh, like musical themes and stuff like that, yeah. But there, like that's reaching really far for representation. When you could, why not just put a black person in? It's like the argument what we had yeah. on stream was like, I was like, how about Ganondorf? It's like, Ganondorf's green. Yeah, depending on what game, he can be like green, blue, purple. Like, come on. He might be a pig demon. Yeah. It's like, no. no. And then you have the other suggestion they made is Rodin um, from the Bayonetta series, which Rodin's a cool character, but one, there's already a representative from Bayonetta in the game. And two, Rodin is in the game as an assist trophy. Uh, yeah, but like, so the only way it's one of those of I wouldn't write off the character because they're an assist trophy. But at the same time, they've already got the only iconic character from that series, like besides him, which is Bayonetta, and her name is on the box. And again, I would argue, who is the second most iconic character in Bayonetta? John. Yeah, and And I I agree. Like, she should just be represented with the Bayonetta skin that she has. You could also give a Rodin skin, maybe. But like that's uh, that's also plays into the thing of oh so the only representation a black person's gonna get is a second skin for a white lady. It's like come on, yeah. And again, that just shows how far people got to reach. And as well, ignoring the criteria specifically set out in the tweet, so they can try and um, like win. This is the weird thing people seem to think of it as a competition. It's like it's not a competition. If you can't think of one, you can say you can't think of one. Mm-hmm. But people have to. Like, um, what about this one? Another cool character that like. Um, is a Nintendo character that I guess you could get away with. Like, saw someone mention Marina, I think it was, from Splatoon 2, but it's like, what's their moveset, though? Mm-hmm. And then They're again. just a character that provides, like, commentary and a bit of, like, visual gags and stuff. Yeah, and then we've got uh, Barrett from Final Fantasy VII again. And then we've got the only one that I kind of think could make it in, and that's Shantae. Yeah, and there's been a, a campaign over the last few years to make Shantae a representative in Smash, and people have theorized like, yeah, full move set. She's got. She you know, She's has. got a series of games. Like she has a full move set in that game. She's a really interesting character. The music from the game's great. The game she's in are great. Her character design is awesome. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what race she's supposed to be written as because it's again, it's um, there's more Arabic Persian influences to her design. She's a genie. Uh, yeah. Like so the you- thing is, as long as it's not a white character. Yeah. I feel like we're. It's a step in the there. right direction, yeah. but then you keep you keep going on. Like people say, Garcia and Smith from Killer Seven. Do you even know who that is? Uh, I do because I've played Killer Seven like a couple of times. But a, 
picking out a, pe- a bunch of people that have A, played Killer7, and B, even fucking remember Killer7, yeah. let alone one of the characters in it. Then we got Sergeant Johnson from Halo. Yeah, what's Sergeant Johnson's up B, Lucas? Is he getting hit by the flood? <laughs> like, who's the iconic character? Oh, Mark. I would argue more for Locke than Sergeant Johnson. Uh, yeah, because he, at least he's a Spartan, and he has like the double jump of a jetpack. Uh, but he's based on a real person, so there's no fucking way of getting his likeness. Um, Detroit become human. Marcus from that. So that's a completely story-driven game about robots. Yeah. What, what's the move set there? Like, because um, he's he's the guy who's like the activist, I believe. Yes. So maybe he in could that, have a, a protest sign in that game. That doesn't fight. Yeah. There's also a really funny bit in that. Like, she's funny because of how like on the nose it is and how bad it was implemented. Where there is a protest scene, they do the Million Man March for robots in that. Where you're walking down the road like robot rights, robot rights, and you come mm-hmm. across the police officers, and they hold you at gunpoint until you're disperse. And if you don't disperse, uh, they will shoot you, and you can choose to die in that moment and die a martyr. But uh, for some reason, they never, uh, like, they only ever programmed the scenario for if you are violent in that moment. So if you play a completely peaceful Marcus and die at that moment in the game. Um, when they show the cut scene of like zooming out, showing that you've been killed, there's a gun next to your body. Oh, for fuck's sake! So, it lo- so even the developers never anticipated for people to have a peaceful revolution. Oh, they only man. anticipated for people to be violent. So it just shows like, oh, the one black character in this game has a gun. And um, they never anticipated say, not to like, people be angry. Yeah, that game I've not played, but apparently is like other games. Um, claim the not Quantic be... Dream. Uh, yes, it's really poorly written. Yeah, very poorly written and very, very like hammed up. And it says, well, unintentionally they... hammed up, by the way. They try and say it's not about race um, when you have robots saying robot lives matter. And they have uh, when you get to choose to be. Cause it's like the, the basic story is there's a robot revolution. And it's mm-hmm. one of those games well, where it's, fuck, it's so ridiculous because the robots look exactly like people. Yeah. So they look exactly like people. They, look... they have a tiny little circle on their, like, temple. Yeah, but they are, for all intents and purposes, just they are people. Yeah. But nobody treats them like people. There's not a single character in the entire game that ever treats you like a human or a person, despite the fact you have, like, a human face and the, like, the approximation of human emotion. Yeah, and they have, like, such good... Uh, artificial intelligence that they act like normal human beings and you're telling me that not one person in that universe would just treat them like a normal fucking person and then immediately it goes so fast from um uh, nobody in that world ever thinks they should give the robots rights they humanity immediately reacts with violence Mm -hmm. Uh, which you know well that's realistic that's what humanity would do but it makes it very bad from a gameplay perspective because if you play peacefully I tried to do a peaceful run in that game. At every single turn, you are encouraged to use violence. Oh, for fuck's sake. Every single turn, you're encouraged to use violence. Like, no matter how peaceful you are, people will act as if you had, like, a violent overthrowing of the government. Yeah. And humans will fear you, even if you never take a human life and everything you do is completely peaceful. Again, which is completely realistic for how humans react to stuff. Yep, but like it really the, is. the game like railroads you into being a vi- like a violent um, uh, 
uh, overthrow of society, but then it chastises you for doing that. And that's that's how poorly written those games are. And just the idea of, yeah, you can choose to do whatever you want as long as you choose to do the thing we intended. Yeah, like I said, they literally have a gun just left on Marcus's body after he's shot because they, and they didn't anticipate that any player would want to do it peacefully. Fucking hell, man. And it's just so... And then, again, it's one of those things, it's like the Ubisoft problem. Of the, they've said it's not about race. They're just asking questions. Yeah. And they have, they directly quote Martin Luther King in that game. And it's like um, Watch Dogs Legion, where it's like, oh, it's about the country, like, i.e. Britain or England. I'm not sure what it's meant to be set in. London, I think. Uh, is it just specifically London? I believe so, yes. Right, so we're set in London post Brexit, where like things are going to shit. Well, don't worry, nothing about this game is political. Well, that means like... that that means your game's not interesting. Yeah, you're not going to explore like, anything. And it's one of those things of like they made a political game, but at some point, and this is with a lot of Ubisoft games, like a, either somebody or a group of people decided we can't take it too far to the point where we make a statement, because even make... though that. Making a statement in the first place by making this scenario. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, not making a like, not being or choosing to be apolitical is a choice, and yeah. it is like even if you say, "Oh, we don't want to get involved in a political debate," making that statement is in itself political mm-hmm. uh, because it means that you do not have a stake in the fight that's going on. Uh, for example, like in regards to like well, the Black Lives Matter movement is like the most yeah. one most recent one. Um, trying to stay neutral in that um, scenario is in of itself a political statement because you're basically saying that it doesn't affect me so I don't have to give a shit, which is yeah. a really bad thing to say. You should probably not say that. But like, anyway. not taking a stance is taking a stance yeah. yourself. Which is like one of those weird ironies, isn't it? It's like um, that great uh, comic someone's done of the paradox of tolerance, mm-hmm. where if you tolerate people who are intolerant, um, you are in effect... Um, promoting intolerance. Yeah. It's, it's like with Nazis, and you get people like pussyfooting around, like just completely shutting down their ability to um, recruit and speak. It's like, oh no, you can't do that because then you're just as bad as they are. It's like, well, I'm not because I'm not actively calling for the genocide of an entire people. So until I do that, I've still got the moral high ground. <laughs> Fuck you, punch Nazis. Oh it's God. like if you allow them into your space, um, all they're going to do is bring it down to their level. Yeah. And uh, another way I've seen it broken down is um, David Wong of Cracked wrote a great article about it's like um, a variation of the broken windows theory in regards to online um, discourse. And the broken windows theory is a somewhat controversial theory that um, about like policing minor laws um, to okay. help prevent bigger laws. And they use the example of a broken window. And if you walk into an area and see a broken window, um, you'll naturally or like, people will be more inclined to treat that area um, with like less respect than they would um, if it was clean. And you can see okay, that example. Yeah. And the best example of that is public toilets. Like, if you walk into a public toilet and it is immaculate, you are like, there's just something inside your head that makes you not want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And you'll try and, and you'll wash your hands and all that sort of thing. If you walk into a public toilet, you walk into corp toilets and it's a fucking mess. You don't give a shit, do you? No, you don't no, give a no. You want to get in and out as quickly as you can, and there's mm-hmm. a similar, and you can apply that to online discourse. Where if you go into a forum, and it is very like well moderated, and people being dicks are cracked down upon almost immediately, 
Uh, you can argue that's a bit draconian, but the alternative is letting people just be huge bellends and scream racial slurs, which naturally makes people feel uncomfortable. And the only people it attracts are people who want to continue throwing shit on the walls. Yeah. Like, so after a while, a public toilet gets so bad where the only people who want to go in there are the people who want to throw shit on the walls. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a, it's an interesting um, thought process behind that. And yeah, like, I think so, yeah. And it's the argument behind why you should always have very strict moderation in online forums, because if you don't, all you're doing is letting the shitheads bring it down to their level. and that is all It's the going... slippery slope then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which in of itself is like a weird thing online. People like to use a lot, but use it um, ironically quite um, fallaciously, because it's called the slippery slope fallacy. And the idea of... Um, and the whole point is that you are trying to make people scared of things that might happen. Mm. Because, but they haven't happened yet. But it's a slippery slope. It's like they might happen. It's like why should I be scared of things that might happen instead of the things that are happening? Yeah, and you see that and a lot it... in regards to like politics with Donald Trump. Like the absolute fucking balls on the man to release ads um, saying this is what America will look like under Joe Biden while using footage of riots happening under his presidency. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. That's like the slippery slope. Like, look how bad things will get under Joe Biden. It's like they're that bad now. Yeah. Like, why should we be scared of things that might happen in the future instead of addressing the shit that's going on right now? Because all it is, it's like a, a smoke screen to hide or to convince people not to do things. That's true, yeah, yeah. And like, oh, man, I just can't get over, like, the amount of times Donald Trump's been caught doing shit like that or when he was, like, imagine how bad things will get under Obama and, like, puts out a statement and then... Fast forward six years and his is just so much worse. Yeah, Trump criticising Trump. Um, it's, yep. it's, there's a new online adage that is there is always a tweet and that means there's always a tweet criticising Donald Trump for whatever he happens to do because he tweets all the time. And almost every decision he has made in his presidency, you can find a previous tweet from him because he can't delete them now because the president's, um, everything he says is official record. So they yep. have to be catalogued, which I think is quite amazing. It also means, can't, <laughs> it also means fun fact Donald Trump can't block people on Twitter. So you can say whatever you want to him. Um, use that information as as you will. I've seen um, images of people saying that they've been blocked by him. He's not allowed to, but he's going to in it because he fucking runs the government. Yeah. Legally, you shouldn't be able to because it's public record. He's like oh, denying okay. someone access to a library or something like that. Ah, uh, right. But uh, Donald Trump isn't probably not going to pay attention yeah, to like, that shit. The words of the president um, should be viewable freely to all citizens because they're the words of the president. Like, you should know yeah. what the president says publicly. Which is why, like, um, like C-SPAN and stuff, I think, they're always on Freeview television or whatever. I don't understand the exact rules behind it, but, like, um, everything produced by the um, the White House is in the public domain. Mm-hmm. So it can be freely used by, like, news agencies and things like that. Right, yeah. Which is why you can use, like, any pre- um, photos of the president you want if they're taken by the official White House photographer because they have to be released publicly. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that's a good thing. It is, yeah. Almost like a and free it still event. doesn't really... Uh... You know, stop him being corrupt as fuck, but it helps. It does, and then we can continue. We can we can bring it back. Okay, because there's, well, we started to get some stupid suggestions now, Lucas. Cole from me. Gears of War. Okay. Yeah. Gunman from a video game starring other gunmen who are all more iconic than he is. Yeah, like what is the guy on the box? Oh, Marcus Phoenix. Who do you play as as player two? All Dom Santiago. Mm-hmm. Who's the guy that appears occasionally screaming? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We've got another one here. Uh, Commander Shepard. Because you can make him black. 
No, custom created characters do not count. Okay, what about Garrus then? I said specifically name a black what? character with the name Garrus. He's an alien. An alien who's blue. Like, yeah, a, a, a blue bird type alien. What? Shaq and also pick Shaq... a move set for Garrus. Shaq from Shaq Fu. Uh, do, you, do you mean a guy? <laughs> Skate from Streets of Rage. I actually don't know who that is. Uh, he's the, the little kid on the roller skates from Streets of Rage. Oh. Now, see, I wouldn't even say he's as iconic as the fucking kangaroo from that game. I, I don't really know much about Streets of Rage. Uh, it's a scrolling beat but there's a... It's the I, like, I, I downloaded Streets of Rage 4 on my Xbox and haven't played it and just... Well, I think I played like the first half of the first level and was like... Eh. Uh, you have Demo Man from Team uh, Team Fortress 2. You know, the guy they made black after the fact. Did they? Yeah. He used to be white and they changed it to be black. Really? Yeah, I believe. I've only seen like um, the Demo Man in game where he's black, but that might just be like I played it a bit later. Yeah, it was uh, like early concept art. It was white. Oh, okay. The intention. But the thing is, though, is he even as iconic as, like, the spy or the heavy? No, like, exactly he so. is not the one at the front of, like, the artwork in that game. Uh, CJ from Grand Theft Auto. Guy with gun. He's the only one I be- I think could possibly make it in, um, like, from Grand Theft Auto or one of those games, because you could get in the jetpack. I mean, like, maybe, yeah. Maybe, but... it's... it's Almost, and then you have like. A... I would argue that yeah, okay, Grand Theft Auto is iconic enough that it could get represented, like well, represented. Not, not in Smash Bros, though. But not in Smash Bros, a game where like yeah, you've it's got a weird, friendly. quirky moveset, and not just Good. I murder people with baseball bats and Uzis, like uh, TJ Combo from Killer Instinct. Again, uh, I don't play Killer Instinct too much, but Orchid. It, Orchid, Ripdoor, like Glacius. All as well, all more interesting characters than Boxer. So yeah. even from like a visual and design standpoint, those are all more interesting characters you could do more with in Smash Bros. Because you've you could got make Boxer. more interesting movesets for them, probably. Steve from Minecraft. So people yeah. now are just naming characters that they want. Because you can technically make Steve Black. Yeah. And like, yeah, okay, again. You could probably Lucas. fathom a kind of move set out that, but... Vault Boy. What? Yeah. So now people... I've got to the point where people were just mentioning characters they want in Smash, so they're completely ignoring everything I've said to talk about a character they want in Smash. You say Vault Boy? Vault Boy, yeah. Vault Boy's white. Yeah. But they're just naming characters they want in Smash now. Franklin Clinton from Grand Theft Auto Five. Again, same thing with CJ. Eddie Gordo, again. And like this is very much getting to the point where I presume you're skipping over quite a lot of them, but the, yeah, the same characters are just getting mentioned over and over now. Yeah, and the only one that is like remotely interesting is Shantae because it's the only one that stands a chance. Yeah, Alex and then Vance. obviously um, Obosa, but like yeah. that's a Nintendo character, so that's yeah. a bit different. Alex Vance that. from um, Half Life series, potentially, but then does you mean that that main character? Alex Vance from Half-Life, or is it Gordon Freeman, Carl? Yeah, Gordon Freeman, the guy on the box. Then you got Cortez from Tiny Splitters 3. 
Okay, if you're naming this the guy from Time Splitters 3. Cortez. He's the main character from Time Splitters 3. Is he not white? Uh I believe he's dark skinned, but he's he's light dark skinned, he's like Vin Diesel. Oh, uh, okay. Cause I, I always call him Vin Diesel because he looks just like Vin Diesel. Because I really don't remember too much about Cortez specifically. I played a hell of a lot of like the multiplayer, the multiplayer, and played as like the the goldfish bowlers ahead, and the gingerbread man. He does look very Vin Diesel-y, I'll give him that. Yeah, well, that's why I always call him Vin Diesel. And then you got Jade from Beyond Good and Evil, that game that hasn't had a game in about twenty years. Um, I mean, they're meant to be apparently bringing back God, uh, Beyond Good and Evil as Beyond Good and Evil Two with not Jade in it. CJ from Gra uh, Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas. Oh. Yeah. How about Bayek from Assassin's Creed Origins? Why would they put him in over Altair? Uh, yeah, Altair, um, or obviously Ezio, who had an entire trilogy based around him because people loved him that much. Lucas, Dom from Gears of War. Dominic Santiago, the black man. Well, again, he, he's not black, but he's not white. He's, a, he's Hispanic. Yeah. But Dom from Gears of... What's Dom's up be? Shooting his wife. Oh, God. Shoots his wife in the head and it gives him the momentum to go up into the air. Emil from Halo Reach. Is Emil black? He's a man with skull helmet. Yeah. So I wouldn't call that representation, like, the fact no, Lucas. that you never see his face. No, Lucas, he's black. Just say he's black underneath there. Like, this is how bad... This is how far people got to reach to think of Anything. Anything. People are naming characters who are completely encased in steel and you never see their face. And I will, um, I want to just like mention as well that I retweeted something that probably proves the reason why these conversations need to happen. Or, or like, you know, yeah, it's a, a good um, reason. But like, I saw a tweet going around. Of... Oh, just always oh, one more, Lucas. Um, Swarm makes a really great point here. We are so lacking. Um, in people of colour in Smash Bros, that the most distinct human character that isn't white is fucking Ganondorf. To which someone responded, in all seriousness, Mr. Game & Watch, question mark. Oh, God. They genuinely... That is the level of people like, reaching people will do to say he's not that bad. Mr. Game & Watch isn't white. He's a 2D stick figure. Wow. He's an ink blot. Like, he fucking is. hell. Fuck me. Yeah, oh, what's wrong with you? Now, that's the level people reach to, man. How good's that? Sorry, what was that? I just had to mention that one. The guy's like, no, that's... Mr. Game & Watch, question mark. Oh, and you know they were serious about that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, because he's, he's not white, so clearly he's like, he's represent that's representation enough. In, in fun fact, like, I think one of his sprites had to be edited to not be so racially stereotypical. It was, like, offensive, and well, they had to change yeah. it. Because he had, what is it, um, the Native American headdress or something, one of his, like, downbeats. I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but it was something along those lines. Uh, but, yeah, like, going back to, to my point, it's, like, there was a tweet I saw going around, and I, I, I retweeted it, so I'm not sure if you saw it, but um, it was just a man watching, like, the Miles Morales trailer. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I watched that demo gameplay trailer, um didn't think much of it other than oh cool like i like miles morales and the game seems like a, a cool game i want to play it um but the moment the 
they hit the like Harlem streets and see the Christmas market. Yes. Um, this man had like an emotional reaction to it and was like, man, they have like nailed, absolutely nailed like, um, you know, Spanish Harlem. And to the point where he had to stop the video and talk and just be like, this is why representation matters. Like I have never seen something like this in a video game. And to me, it was something where it didn't take away from my experience. It was just, oh, cool. A a cool Christmas market. But for this guy, it means a lot. Exactly. And And that is why like it actually matters because it didn't take away anything from me, but it gave somebody else like an emotional resonance with this game. It's the same thing you have with like all those great pictures of Daisy Ridley just posing with little girls dressed like Ray. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, I'm not the fan of the movies, but I understand like why they're important for people. Mm-hmm. Which can bring us to like uh, our ongoing sag- our ongoing quest to catalogue every legendary thing done by John Boyega. <laughs> uh, because did you hear what happened to him last week? So this is amazing. Um, I I saw John Boyega's name going around, but I didn't really. Okay, see what so, happened. So John Boyega. Right, so I'll I'll lay the groundwork. Wait, so John Boyega, um, the the absolute fucking legend that he is, um, uh, was like, is a spokesman for a cologne company, I believe, right? Cologne or something like that. So da, 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 cologne ad China. Just trying to find the actual story here because I want to get the pictures because the pictures are fucking phenomenal. So here we go, Joe Malone. I say so. Joe Malone um, is a brand of like you know just spray, you know, no 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 spray no laying. Okay, yeah. We, we're yeah, trying, yeah. To f- trying to find the pictures where, um, yeah. So John Boyega was asked to uh, like hire a spokesperson for this company. He's like, yeah, that's pretty sick. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Um, he even recorded an ad which he directed and appeared in, filmed around his hometown. Yeah. Like during lockdown, celebrating his local area. Okay. Like, yeah, I'm going to celebrate my local area. I'm going to get my friends in there because you never fucking see black people in ads just living their life. Fuck it, I have the power to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, he did that. So he made it and he's like, fucking too right. This is awesome. I've been like, this company has done me a solid by giving me the complete creative freedom to make this. Um, when the ad aired in China, though, they, re- they, did, they made the same ad, which remember, he wrote and directed. Yeah, <laughs> just filmed it again with a Chinese guy. Oh, <laughs> for China, and John Boyega understandably was like, "Fucking fix this right now." Yeah, this is bullshit, and is dropped out as being a spokesperson for the brand. I'm not fucking surprised. And when they responded to him about it, they went, "Oh, it was a mistake." What? Yeah, it was because it was a mistake. They're sorry. They accidentally filmed an entire new advert with a Chinese person and put it out, and that like, and that brings it back to like that because John Boyega like he's gone, he has gone off on um, uh, Disney. About, I did like, see something about that, yeah. Where he went off and like, yeah, Disney they speak up, they appeal his lip service to um, like wanting diverse opinions and people um, in their movies, and then mm-hmm. they took me off the fucking poster in China. Yeah. Uh, which is like the famous one. People don't know. Um, for the Force Awakens poster, uh, the one that was released in most of the world, um, it's very uh, reminiscent of the original Drew Struzan, I believe it was, uh, poster for um, the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. You have like Ray stood at the top with um, uh, flanked by Kylo Ren, 
on one side, and then John Boyega holding a blue lightsaber on the other, that iconic shot of him picking up the lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. that was like a massive part of the poster. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's the, uh, the, the duality of the force. You have like the evil Kylo Ren and the mm-hmm. good guys on the other side. Um, in the Chinese poster, they just replaced him with a bunch of fucking TIE fighters. <laughs> It's so they bad. Just, they just took him out. And that, and it, but not only is that bad, it ruins like, the idea of the poster, of, like one side being the evil side and one side being the good side. Because then it's just the evil side is on both sides and Daisy Ridley's like, no, I've been attacked on all sides. <laughs> We've got Kylo Ren and a million TIE fighters on the other side. Like it literally gets rid of the theme that they're going for in the marketing. Yeah. And John Boyega was really fucking pissed off about it. Because it's like, as you should be, it's like, you're telling me you want me to like help lead this franchise? Yeah. And you won't even, you won't put me on the fucking poster. And, but though, the best one, and this is one I could not believe it until I saw it. So let me just get the, right, so I'm going to get one here. So I've got that. And, 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 like, this is the one that I thought, like, this has to be a Photoshop. Okay. Like, it can't be real. And it is the film Black Panther. So I'm going to send you now, Lucas, and it is the poster um, for Black Panther, the teaser, the teaser poster for it. So I'm going to send that along. Uh, just describe it to the folks at home so we all know what, which one it is. Okay, well, um, it's, you know, it says Black Panther at the bottom. Of course, yes. It says just above the logo, it says his father's legacy, and then it's just a picture of Chadwick Boseman in the Black Panther outfit, like, with the helmet taken off, and he is... Like looking down at his, um, his like hands, his claws, if you will. It's, it's pensive. It's a pensive shot of Chadwick Boseman just smouldering, being an absolute fucking badass. Um, here's the version that they put in China. I shit you not. No, no, Carl. What's going to happen? I'm waiting for it to load up. I'm waiting. This is amazing. Oh my god, no! <laughs> oh my god, they didn't. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Lucas, describe this photo. Uh, so this is a photo of a, not even Black Panther helmet just being photoshopped off on top of Chadwick Boseman's face. It is just a shot from the movie, because in the original poster, he's looking down at his hands, he's like, you know, he's in a state of contemplation. For the Chinese one, they photoshopped a different shot of Black, of Chadwick Boseman wearing the helmet, looking directly forward. And put that on the poster instead. I'm not even sure that is the right Black Panther helmet because it might not be. It doesn't look right, does uh, it? Like it doesn't look right, and his eyes are open where they're not in the costume. No, because they're covered in the costume, aren't they? They are, yeah. They just photoshopped helmet over his face, so you can't tell that he's black in a movie called Black Panther. Uh, how in mind, you, Black Panther. How are you was... trying to market? Black fucking panther by covering up black people. <laughs> the oh, very man as well. He's in Civil War. People know who he is. People know that he's black. But Carl, the posters can't show that. Yeah, that's just... I, I could not believe that was real. Because of just how poorly Photoshop is. It's like, fucking out. Disney wants that China money. They really fucking do. They'll do and that's how you become it. like the fucking highest selling um, box office movies, apparently. Is just bend your will to China's, but Jesus Christ, that's bad. 
Right? That's it's, real bad, Carl. It's real bad as well. It's just, oh man. Like Disney, what are you doing? Like, did you see it for the Mulan movie as well? They specifically thanked that area of uh, that part of the government that is like keeping Muslims in concentration camps. Oh fab. Yeah, they specifically thanked uh, the government who's doing that. Great. And then the lead actress was uh, when she was asked about the Hong Kong protests, and I fully support the Hong Kong police. You know, the same Hong Kong police that have been like on camera every single day for a year and a half. Um, violently suppressing the people of Hong Kong. She didn't. She did, yeah. Oh, God damn Yeah, that's the one. That movie's great. And I, like, I didn't want to watch that movie anyway because it sounds like they've taken, you know, the fun Disney Mulan film that's A, fun, and B, a musical, and taken the fun and the music out. Yeah, they also removed um, uh, Li Shang. They removed Li Shang. They removed Mushu. Uh, they removed the, the songs. Do you see as well like their um, argument for removing um, Li Shang? And it's like the most poor reading of the film I've ever seen. Um, that he would be abusing his power as her superior to like essentially force her into loving him. And that's not what the movie is at all. The whole point of the movie is that he slowly realises that she is as good as he is. Yeah. Like the whole point of the movie is like the stereotypical like male authority figure getting usurped and realizing, holy shit, I am an idiot. Mm-hmm. Which is a lesson, you know what? I think people today could learn. I, I, I could see that doing like you know playing quite well for a modern audience, but they took it out due to a complete misunderstanding of what his character is supposed to be. No, Carl, he abused his power as he was. It's like fuck's sake. Did you watch the movie that you made, Disney? And like, yeah, I get if you want to um, take Mushu out because it's a farce. Like, it's a it talking is, dragon. It is a talking dragon that does nothing but ham it up the entire time. Like, yeah, if you're going for a more dramatic feel, like, you know, change the songs a little bit and take out the magical dragon. But come on, guys. The fact they took out, I'll make a man out of you. I'll never forgive him for that. No. I'll, I'll never forgive him for doing Like, Why would you take out the best song in the film? One of the best Disney songs, full stop. It's so good. So uh, it's still good. on my it's still on my gym playlist. That song's awesome. Yeah, but uh, like those live action movies, I'm still pissed off. They've not done my idea of just remake them shot for shot, but put all the actors in costumes. <laughs> yeah, I don't like because right, Hamilton proved that you can just put a stage show on on a streaming TV, service on a streaming service. People will watch it and it'll do very well. And I thought when I my idea for like the Lion King was to dress all the actors up like lions and just yeah. make the movie and like just have James Earl Jones in a lion costume like he is in the in the Lion King stage show. Just have like Donald Glover and Beyonce just rolling around in outfits in the jungle. Dressed like lions. Yeah, I yeah, watched that movie. That, mo- that movie sounds awesome. <laughs> just have them dressed like lions the entire time. I would watch that film. Oh, that'd be amazing. It'd be fucking awesome. And the reason that I wanted to come back to that is I uh, recently rewatched all of Avatar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how much of that have you seen? Uh, still not much. Ah, okay. Well, there's a, a bit in the very last season where it's like um, the recap of everything that's happened up to that point before the like the climactic final battle. Okay, But yeah. it is done in-universe as the characters go to a show. And they go to a stage show supposedly showing everything they did up to that point from the perspective of, like, the enemy, the Fire Nation. Oh. But what they do is they like, have all these weird tricks uh, to simulate stuff like firebending. 
an airbending. Like they have the person like um, on a wire and they pull them up to show them flying. Yeah. And when they're doing firebending fights, they have um, do you like the rhythmic gymnastics with the, uh, the, the ribbon. They do that. So they have like rhythmic and they're f- like, f- um, throwing out the ribbon for fire. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, cool. a, that's a really neat way of doing this. I would go watch a live stage show of this. Yeah. With the effects done like this. That'd be really awesome. Like an artistic representation of what firebending would look like and just have mm-hmm. it as like, you know, a dance number or something like that. And I thought, why don't they do that with these live action Disney movies that keep failing? <laughs> just like dress everyone up like lions. And you know, there's like really bad, but also quite impressive special effects they do for stage shows. Like they dress the people all in black. Oh, they, yeah, like, yeah. And they like move things around. So it looks like you've got like magic powers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that. Yeah. With a big budget. I'd love it. But instead, we just get really boring shot-for-shot remake in CGI. With, with just the same music. And then you've got um, uh, old man Mufasa. Like James Earl Jones, man, you can hear it in his voice. Mm. He's not got it anymore. He's not got long left to make one of these. Like, so they better fucking hurry up and make that Darth Vader movie. Oh, God, yeah. They better do it. Because they've been teasing it for a while. It's like, fuck it. Just make a Darth Vader movie. I bet it was like in the Disney offices. They have just like this piece of glass. And so it's like breaking like case of emergency. And it just says Darth Vader movie. <laughs> like Darth Vader standalone trilogy. Oh, man. It's all but people Carl, want to see. We don't want to watch... Um... Like, movies about just one character solo proved that. It wasn't because it was a bad movie. With a guy in it who didn't know how to act. Did you ever hear about that? Uh, no. Halfway through production, they had to bring in an acting coach to teach him and Amelia Clark how to act. Oh, no. Because every time they watched the dailies, they looked terrible, so they literally brought in a guy to teach them how to act. Oh, fucking hell. And, yeah. like, the thing is, as well, just stop hiring Amelia Clark. She's not a great actress. No. 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 She can't carry a movie. She has no screen presence whatsoever. No, she's all right as an ensemble, like part of an ensemble cast. But she cannot um, carry a scene on her own. No. And you, just... you find that most of the interesting scenes that she's in are in like Game of Thrones. Is her probably because other characters. Like, yeah, someone like Tyrion is carrying the scene with her or, being there. Or Jason Momoa, who's just really likable. Mm-hmm. Like he, again, he has, he has great presence and charisma. Yeah, he's not the best actor, but again, like, great presence on screen. Similar to like Arnold Schwarzenegger in a way, where Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, he is a enigma in Hollywood because he can't act. Mm-hmm. He can barely speak. Yeah. Like, he's very intelligent. That's something people, a lot of people might not know. Like, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a very intelligent man. He has a, mm-hmm. a degree in, um, a, a double degree in economics and um, business management or something like that. Oh, right. And he had like he was a millionaire before he arrived in America via a mail order bodybuilding business that he set up, and then he flipped houses for like five years when he first arrived in Holly- like in America. So mm. before he even and he, he made movies just because he wanted to. Oh right, okay. like he was all he was already a millionaire when he was starring in Conan. The only yeah. reason he wanted to do that is because after he made his millions, he decided I want to be a Hollywood actor now, and was told <laughs> you can't be a Hollywood actor. You can barely speak. No one with your body type has ever been famous before, mm-hmm. and your name's unpronounceable. So he absolutely refused to change anything about himself and just forged his way ahead anyway. And just because he is that charismatic, you want to watch the films he's in. Yeah, and then you compare him to someone like maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme, who mm. just, he doesn't have just the same presence that Arnold Schwarzenegger does. So as a result, his movies, even his good ones, aren't as good as some of Arnold Schwarzenegger's bad movies. 
No, apart from like the action scenes. Mm. Where obviously yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme like is very, very good at performing in those like stunt sections, but yeah, <laughs> when it comes to the acting part, it's just like, oh, okay. And you, you just want you just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're a very likable man. Yeah. Like, he's a very charismatic man. I just love it. And then uh, the the thing I said about like, Game of Thrones specifically is that series, like Hollywood producers and executives watching that learned the exact wrong lessons they should have done. Mm-hmm. Because the number one bit of feedback um, about every season of Game of Thrones people had about the acting in particular was that there are all these amazing performances by not unknown, but just largely just forgotten and just kind of like cast to the side journeyman actors who've been in the business for decades, some of them, but never really got on a chance to flex what they could do. Like, they've been working for a long time. Yeah, you guys like Robert Baratheon. Uh, yeah, uh, and actors like, like that. Jorah and The Onion yes, Knight. The Onion Knight, and then uh, like Ian Glenn, I believe he plays Jorah, doesn't he? Uh, Who steals every scene he's in. I believe, yeah, I can't, can't remember the names, but yeah, again, it's like, there's so just, many older actors that, as you say, like, haven't been forgotten about, but just, just generally don't get the bigger roles, and they are just stealing every... Se- and the only real person that got um, anything out of it was probably Peter Dinklage. Because uh, he was just so fucking good, and he mm. was young enough where... Uh, he never led anything, but he did get a lot of roles out of it. Yeah. And because of people just be like, oh god, this guy's a really good fucking actor. Like, he, can, he can carry a scene, because he's so good. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, Poor Tyrion. I feel so bad for Peter Dinklage, man. His shoulders must have wrecked carrying <laughs> Game of Thrones for that last season. It's like uh, Nikolai Calderwosto. Uh, what's his name? Nikolai Waldo Costa, is it? I always forget which order his name goes in. Um, Ooh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find out for us now while you're just mentioning him. Like Jamie Lannister again. Uh, well, like, he just stole every scene that he's in. Uh, it's Costa Waldo. Costa Waldo, Nikolai Costa Waldo. Like, again, it's like all those actors. And the lesson Hollywood learned from that is not just give these amazing actors who have been in the industry for decades a chance. Mm-hmm. And now they've got the recognition from Game of Thrones. Let them maybe have a bigger role. They said, look at all these shit kids that are barely experienced in the industry. Let's let them lead multi-billion dollar franchises like um, <laughs> the X-Men series. Yeah, with like um, Sophie like, Turner, Maisie Williams, yeah. Kit Harrington, like they are the ones that got and Amelia Clark that got all of the huge roles. And I'm just looking at a few like members of the Game of Thrones cast, and it's like even the people like Lena Headey and Gwendolyn Christie, like they got some roles out of it, but none of them were given like the same level of attention as someone like Kit Harrington or Amelia yeah. Clark. Who Kit Harrington is a fine actor; he's not a leading man. No, like that's the thing, but maybe given a bit more time and experience, they might become yeah. leading actors. But right now, the you've got ready to go leading actors in people like Lena Headey and Gwendolyn Christie and like Nikolai Costawaldo and like Ian Glenn, and you're just not using them. Yeah, and that's what pissed me off about it. It's like, oh yeah, let's give Sophie Turner. Um, an actress who's a wet fucking blanket in every season in Game of Thrones. A series <laughs> lauded for its acting. And she's like one of the worst actors in it. She is terrible in every scene she's in. Mm-hmm. She has no range whatsoever. And they said, let's give her like one of the most iconic characters in comic books. And she fucking dropped the ball and fumbled it so hard. And again, it like it- it's not all to blame on her because that... like. The Those movies the in general were just bad. 
But when you compare her acting to someone like James McAvoy yeah. or Michael Fassbender, again, two actors who've been working for decades, like collectively, and even though the, the material they're working is not great, they're still doing their best. My last thing is, no matter what film um, in the X-Men series I've watched, neither Magneto or um, like Charles Xavier have had bad performances because it's been like, what, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen... And then Michael Fassbender and um, Steve McAvoy. Yeah, uh, James McAvoy. James McAvoy, that's the one. I was like, it's not Steve McAvoy. Yeah, uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, like, yeah, two of the most lauded, um, acclaimed actors (laughs) of a generation. It's like, fucking two, right? You hit it out of the park with that. Yep. And then, like, I think it's fair to say that, that Fassbender and McAvoy did a good job in, like, following up them as the next generation of those two characters. And then they just utterly drop the ball. It's like the best one is New Mutants. I think this is like it's the the perfect crystallization of what we're talking about where Maisie Williams was really, really hot in terms of like, you know, her her appeal. Uh, for audience as of like, oh she's in Game of Thrones. She's one of the most popular characters on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Let's put her in New Mutants. New Mutants have been development hell for what, nearly five years now? Four or five, yeah. Four or five years. Does anybody give a fuck about uh, Maisie Williams anymore? I think uh, like a small number of people still probably do. But are you going to go watch it because she's in it? But I think like that's the thing is no one expected Game of Thrones to end on such a like wet fart. Of an ending, yeah. But at the same time, I'd still go watch something that had Gwendolyn Christie in it. Well, yeah. Because yeah, that's I the think thing. she's a... Or Lena Headey. Or um, Nikolai Costa-Waldo. Or Ian Glenn. Or Sean Bean. Yeah. Like, I'd think, like, those guys, they're all good actors. I'll go watch a movie there. Maisie Williams, no thank you. Is it really weird as well that, like, Sean Bean is still seen as one of the faces of Game of Thrones? And he was in the first season. Like, he just, he, he bailed out after one season. He's on every box. He's on, yeah. like, the front. Like, him on the, I, uh, him on the Iron Throne is still used for the Blu-ray box set for all eight seasons. He's in it for, like, 10% of that series. And it's still, that, like, That's oh. how good he is. That's how good an actor Sean Bean is. That's Man, how much charisma yeah. he has. And it is one of those things of, like... At this point, can you really cast Sean Bean as a main man? Because, no, because you want him to die. Yeah. Like, What's you actively want Sean Bean to have a death scene at this point. What's why they call him in Hollywood the walking spoiler? <laughs> because uh, every time he appears on screen, he's going to die. And it led to one of my favourite headlines about him, which was, um, Sean Bean character to be cast as Julius Caesar with predictable results. Because <laughs> like he was just gonna get stabbed to death. It's like, oh, that's so fucking good. Yeah. Oh. No, I, I, you know, they got us in Game of Thrones, and they were like, they kind of marketed him as the main character, and no one thought mm-hmm. what, like, no one really knew what Game of Thrones was at the time, unless you were into the books. Yeah, that's fair. And they, they got us. They got us good, thinking like, oh, Sean Bean's gonna be like the main character of this. Little did you know. There isn't really such a thing as a main character in Game of Thrones. There isn't, no, unless you watch, like, season eight. Yeah, until the and very they, end where they and just... And they really, really try to be like... Oh, you could just see them playing with the action figures in that's the final season. Yeah. <laughs> like, you see them, like, when they... when uh, I, forget, I forget the guy's name because he's just so unforgettable. Uh, the guy who's the charge of the Iron Fleet. That knobhead. Euron. Euron. 
Is it? You're on Greyjoy. Where like his boat crashes, you think, oh, f- oh, god, they've done that Game of Thrones thing where he just dies unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. Great, I hate that character. He walks out of the sea like the Terminator <laughs> for his final <laughs> battle with Jamie. It's like for fuck's sake! It's like every time. Um, I'd say even in season seven, every time I thought, man, they're gonna do something I didn't expect again. Like no. The only time that happened is when one of the dragons dies, and it's only surprising because it's so fucking stupid that these legendary creatures of war, these engines of destruction, get killed by a fucking arrow. And the worst thing was, it was like, oh, okay, well, now she knows it's coming, but then in the final, like, you know, um, battle. She goes battle in the final she battle. She raises like, all the ships in 10 seconds. Like, that's the thing is, it goes from the dragon got taken down like a bitch to, oh, the main dragon is completely untouchable. And she eradicates the entire fleet in about a quarter of a second. Yeah. Like she just strafes. It's, it's like, make shit. up your fucking mind. Are, are dragons unstoppable or can you hit them with these arrows? Yeah, because like two of the dragons get just speared down like it's absolutely nothing. And then just the plot armor comes in thick out of nowhere. Did you see as well um, the official explanation for that? No. It's it become a meme after the fact. Wait, it's the writers. Is it D.B. Weiss and the other one? I don't care, but that sounds about right. Because they're the guys that everyone like basically singled out. Cause I'm just going to just double check. Show, it's the showrunners. The showrunners, yeah. yeah. The ones that ran the... away from the idea of like doing it properly. Yeah, because they're the guys who um, basically ruined Game of Thrones. So it's uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. That's it. And so, they're going to so, ruin... Um, they might still potentially be ruining Lord of the Rings with yeah, so the Amazon uh, TV show as well. I believe it's D&D, the fans call them. Which is why I was getting confused. I wouldn't remember who's like a reference to their last episode. But it's uh, those guys, the showrunners, like, they, the, they ruined Game of Thrones, as we've talked about before, where uh, HBO gave them a blank check. Mm-hmm. They said, we will... Um, write a number on this um, check, we'll sign it. Um, tell us how many seasons you want. Every actor in the show um, was said, we'll sign on for as many seasons as you want. And then uh, D.B. Weiss and Benny Hoff just went, you know what? Nah, we only want a, a final eighth season and we only want it to be eight episodes long. And like, are you sure? Like, Because they wanted to go make the Star Wars series, which they've um, been... Um, it was Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? There's a Star Wars series they had, which um, has been shuttered, I believe. Then another one. We can double check. Yeah, like I thought they left because Amazon gave them a big fat check for the Lord of the Rings TV show. Well, let's have a look. But we'll find out. But like, yeah, it's just that the idea of we have the chance to make absolute TV history. Nah. No. Well, apparently I'm looking at Benny Hoff's upcoming projects. He doesn't have anything. He's oh, got God. a love. He's got an unannounced uh, Lovecraft TV show that he's going to be doing with DB Weiss. I'd say that's probably a good thing. And then something with Leslie Jones. It might. It might have been the case of. I'm not. Not sure. This is just me theorizing of maybe it was like how poorly Game well, no, of Thrones ended. Kind of threw everything up into the air. It says here that due to their commitment to Netflix, Ben and Weiss, they extended their contract to produce a Star Wars film. So they were originally going to do something with Star Wars. And then Disney decided, let's put the the brakes on Star Wars films because people are getting a bit like fed yeah. up with having one every year. And as well, they went, let's not let the guys who ruin Game of Thrones do it. 
Yep. So they're like their prospects kind of dried up after that. So it's, it's good because they fucking ruined Game of Thrones because they wanted to like, oh no, fuck it, just do whatever, get it, just fart it out the gate, and then we'll go make this Star Wars shit. It's like, oh no, yeah, and that all dried up. But um, yeah, in an interview after the fact, because uh, they used to do that, I forget what it's called, what, the Game of Thrones, like that would air after Game of Thrones, where they talk to the cast and the crew and like do behind the scenes stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, the fan, like, the guy who's hosting the show, was like, so how did? Danny get blindsided by the Iron Fleet. And they sit there in their chair and they go, well, in our view, Danny just kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. And that was legitimately their excuse for why she gets blindsided by it. They, she just forgot that her enemy had like these million ships that had dragon killing um, arrows on them. Uh, what? That's a, that's a real thing they said. Uh like, did they did they forget about all those scenes that he did where they're plotting out like plans of action and uh, here we are. discussing I've got the actual... all here's of the meme? The... Here's the meme screenshot people keep doing because basically every time there was a problem in Game of Thrones, they just put this up and change Iron Fleet for something else. <laughs> oh, Danny just kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. Yeah, did you guys forget about writing the show properly? <laughs> She kind of forgot about the one thing that could pose a threat to her rule. That's the level of writing they had on that show, mate. I'm baffled. That's a real thing that the the showrunner said. That was his excuse. Don't worry, Carl. She also forgot about Starbucks Cup. That was amazing. That was fucking incredible. It didn't happen twice. Because it was no, the no, Starbucks was... Cup with Danny and then the plastic bottle of water in like the final um, shot with... Yeah. Um, or the, I can't remember the Bran. He Who's becomes like best? he becomes the king, doesn't he? And there's like the shot with his council, and just one of them has a plastic water bottle behind the chair. It's like, oh yeah. Oh, like, who's had a better story than Bran? You mean that guy who spent three seasons in the fucking woods doing nothing? Yeah, and we got told that he would. Basically, or insinuated that it would be he doesn't, I don't a massive, game. massive part of the story, and then he just kind of was there. We have this one. Um, the Queen wants you to kill her brothers. She will pay you a lot. The next episode. Don't shoot, it's my brothers. Let them talk. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, oh, but the one that always gets me, though, is just like the Doctor Octopus from Spider Man 4 heel turn that Danny has. Like, it takes her 10 seconds to go from I will save this world to I will specifically target the orphanages as yeah. I strafe the city. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no, we are the good guys. Oh, kill, kill all of the children. It's, like, immediate. The one that I told my mate about, so we had this discussion over the weekend, um, that he could not believe and he went back and he watched the episode and then just sent me a text saying, oh, my God. And it is, um, in the episode um, after, cause fuck it, Game of Thrones spoils who gives a shit anymore, Danny just completely eradicates it. King's Landing, she just yeah. like, burns it to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, leaving the Red Keep, of all things. Like, she she leaves that to last. She just lets Cersei just sit there and escape. Yeah, uh, she just let, like literally gives her plenty of time to get out. And she says, I'm going to burn the city that she could not give a fuck about to hurt her for some reason. Um, so like, obviously, him. the game plan should have been fly directly at Cersei and just burn her. Yeah. 
And once she's dead, like she's the figurehead. Like once she's gone, like you cut the head of the snake off and the rest of that. But there's that's been discussed to death. But the one I told my friend about that he could not believe. So like, you're making that up. That's not how it happens. And it is after that episode. You have like the the long, uh, the one shot of um, um, Kit Harrington, Jon Snow walking through the destruction caused by Daenerys, mm. and he walks past Grey Worm executing King's Landing soldiers. Yeah, and he looks at him. They share that look of like. Um, the look of like mutual distrust of I'm doing what my queen asked and Jon Snow's like fucking hell like things are getting dire yeah and he walks and it follows him as, like, as he walks through this trail of destruction and he gets to that huge big set of stairs mm-hmm. where Danny is at the top with the dragon um, Lucas who's at the top of that flight of stairs before he goes and sees Danny I don't know maybe Tyrion no it's Grey Worm Really? Yeah, Grey Worm is still at the top of the stairs, which means that after he executed that soldier, he sprinted all the way there <laughs> to get to the top. And my friend's like, that never happens because that's such a stupid error. How could they leave it in? I went, mate, this is the same show they left a fucking Starbucks cup. <laughs> if you watch it, it's like, it's one long shot. So there's no like time di- like, um, delay that you could see. We say, oh, Grey Worm might have gone to, like, you know, to the Queen's side. It's like, one shot he's executing a soldier, the next one he's at the top of like 500 stairs. But Carl, the camera didn't go through the back street where Grey Worm was just like absolutely sprinting his ass off. Just hauling the most ass you have ever seen on Unsullied Run. <laughs> and then as well, you just go when he walks past all the Dothraki, which respawned. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That amazing, like, oh, that great shot that's completely in the dark, like you can't see of all the Dothraki getting killed. And then in the next shot, they're all back. Yeah, and it's like, oh no, don't worry, that was only the front part of the Dothraki. And it was like, no, you sent out every single Dothraki with flaming swords screaming their mouths off. Wipe them all out and then expect us to believe, don't worry, there was another 500 in the back. It's like, where were they when the entire uh, retreat of the Night King's army was coming in? Yeah. Because after the night, I remember seeing that going, the fuck are they going to do against... It's like, when they arrive at... Uh, for the parlay, mm-hmm. and you see that uh, Daenerys has like two platoons of Unsullied, and that's it. Yeah, I thought, oh god, that's the entire army she has left. That's the what she's gonna do. Then, then the next scene, she's got like a million soldiers out of nowhere. It's like, how many Unsullied were there? Yeah, it's, how it's many did she have? That it was just replenishing armies at the end. Like there were so many big battles that they got through so quickly that. They kept saying, like, well, this person's got 9,000 soldiers. Shows a battle where thousands of people die and they've still got 9,000 soldiers. And it's like, what? How did this happen? And as well, you don't need soldiers when you've got a fucking dragon. Yeah. Like, I never, like, that was the most, I know they didn't do it because of the budget, but like, when you're sat there, it's like, okay, so what do we do against this army? It's like, you've got a fucking dragon. Because no, but they've got defences. Okay, why don't you fly 100 <laughs> miles up in the air above the atmosphere and sneak in from behind? Or do what you did when you fought like the Iron Fleet and just dive bomb them from above where no one can defend it. Yeah. Or just get your dragon to carry massive rocks. Just anything. Anything. Like They are the most broken OP shit in that world. Why would you not be using them all the time? That, as you said, all you need to do is fly above where they can hit you. Which isn't very high. No, no, it's really not. Because, like, for example, um, you know, say the giant spears that they've got on Euron's ships. Like, what, realistically, they could shoot at, like, a 45-degree angle 
and then very quickly you'd get like drop off from the shot. And as well, they start to lose momentum the moment they start getting like the atmosphere's gonna be slowing down the entire time they're going. Yep, and it's like Uh, so you realistically don't have to fly up very high. That's the only thing in that universe that poses any sort of a threat to you, except for the Night King, who does take out one of the dragons in one shot. But what's to stop them from just dropping giant rocks? Yeah. The entire time, throughout the entire battle. It's like uh, when you watch the Battle of the Bastards and you look, they've got, uh, is it 1-1? One, one, one? The Last Giant? I don't and remember his name, but yeah, I know, I know who you mean, yeah. And they have him, and they show him effortlessly ripping soldiers apart with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. And you find yourself thinking, why the fuck is he fighting with his bare hands? <laughs> why is the... Tw- like, he is your... He's the one advantage you have in this battle. Why is he not decked head to toe in full plate armor? Yeah. Wielding a 30 foot long sword. It's, oh God. It's so stupid. Like they have him in like furs with his head exposed. Yeah. He's going to be the number one thing every enemy archer is aiming for. Put him in full plate armor. I don't care how you've got to get it together. Like if you've got to strap just like random bits of metal to him, anything is better than that. And like that thing is, okay, well, that would be heavy, but surely. It would only be as relatively heavy as a normal person wearing a normal suit of armor. And he's a fucking giant. Yeah. He can swing a tree around with his bare hands. So you see that one shot of him when he swings a tree and it takes out like 40 soldiers at once. That Why don't you just get every single blacksmith to try and make some giant sword or some shit for him? Yeah, and then put him right at the front of your charge. And even if it is like, oh, look, we have to... Maybe fat, like maybe cut down the biggest tree you can fucking find and make him a, a club, a spear. Oh god! Just give him a really long stick. <laughs> Anything that's not his bare hands. The last thing is, yeah, maybe blacksmithing a, a an actual weapon for him to wield is probably too much. But yeah, just give him a fucking tree shaped like a club, or make it a giant spear or something like that. Just anything, just anything to protect that. him and give him weaponry. When he's not got any armor on him whatsoever. Oh, God. I'll give him, do you know what you should give him? One of those giant bow and arrows. Do you know what they show the giants with the giant bow and arrows and they're firing javelin-sized arrows? Oh, shit, yeah, to the, yeah. To, And they're hitting people at the top of the wall. Mm. Why don't they give him one of them and have him just aim for um, uh, Ramsey Bolton? Or just find him a bunch of boulders to throw. Yeah, anything that's not. Just stand here and get stabbed. Yep. He was your one, he was like your ace in the hole. He's like your trump card for that battle. He's your super unit. And I think that that really kind of points out where they went wrong with a lot of the battles. It's like, okay, cool, like, yeah, Daenerys did go and blow up a lot of people with the dragon at the end, but... The fact that she, like, when she does it, and it's so easy. It's so easy, and if it was that easy, why didn't you and Jon just decimate everyone? It's like when you see um, the Golden Company arriving, mm. that really great scene where she just, in about a minute, she does one strafing run of the entire caravan and completely eradicates it. Yeah. She wins the battle in this time it takes, uh, like the, before the credits have even started like rolling, mm. or the, uh, the, the intro credits. Yeah. And you have Jamie going... They're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Why does she not just keep doing that? Like, if I was her, I would have kept flying in a straight line towards King Landing <laughs> doing that. Yeah. And um, it, it's one of those of, yeah, they utilize the dragon at times, but the amount of They're like so leaps useful. in logic of why did you not use like, 
your Dothraki horde in the right way? Like, why did you not use... It's when she uses the Dothraki horde after she's burned everyone. Why even bother wasting your soldiers? Just yeah. use the dragons again and use the Dothraki horde to get the people who try and run away. And it's like, like she sends them into a place she's actively bombarding with dragon fire. There's so many times that just none of it seemed like it was thought out. Because it probably wasn't. It wasn't, no. But And you can say, oh, she's not um, a very good military leader. She's got plenty on her um, command. Yeah, she has all the tacticians at her, like, She's command. got fucking Jorah. She's got Jorah, and she's got Tyrion. And she's got the leader of the Unsullied. Yeah, like, Tyrion like, has literally proven himself smart enough to win entire battles just through his tactics. And she's like, just like, nah, man. I just find myself thinking, like, what the fuck would Sun Tzu do if he had a dragon? Fly higher. I'll be able to stop up. Because I'm reminded, there's this really great story. We can talk about this. Uh, I'm just going to do, do, double check the guy's name. Okay. And then when I find it, let's have a look. Just make sure I've got the story here. Da, 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 da. Aha! I have it now. But I'm going to take a quick bathroom break and I'll come back. And this is a really good um, just story from ancient battles. That just goes to show, like, with creativity, anything can be an advantage. Okay, so I'll be back in a sec. Oh, so I'm back, Lucas, and are you ready to hear about the exact opposite of Daenerys' just general incompetence when it comes to leading an army? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you a story now about Chuko Liang, who was a general um, during the War of the Three Kingdoms, and he was one of the trickiest and most um, uh, well-known generals of his era due to just how smart he was when it came to battle. And he pioneered something known as the empty fort strategy, which is exactly what it sounds like. And it is, when you are being attacked by a superior force of soldiers, mm. just leave the gates to your fort open and invite them inside. The idea being that um, they will assume that it is a trick and refuse to go in. Really? Yeah. And this is something that Chuko Liang did when he was being... Uh, attacked by 150,000 soldiers. And he had a force of just 100 men in his command. And when his men, very understandably, were like, yeah, we're probably going to get wrecked by no. these 150,000 soldiers coming, he said, fear not, men, throw open the gates to the fortress. And they were like, what? Said, no, trust me, open the gates and hide. So they opened the gates and hid, and he put on um, a, long, a set of long flowing robes and sat atop the highest wall in the city and began playing a lute. And when the soldiers arrived and went through the gate of the city, they observed him doing it. He just sat there, continued playing the lute. Um, the, animal the enemy general recognised him and knowing his reputation for sneakiness and treachery, um, assumed that something had to be going on <laughs> and was so freaked out by just how nonchalant he was and didn't understand why he was playing the lute that he ordered his men to leave because he knew there was a trap. <laughs> Even though there wasn't. Yeah. And this guy, like, you know he's a badass because his nickname was The Sleeping Dragon. Oh. Due to like, how um, uh, like, effective he was. like The idea of like, do not mess with him. Because that's the whole thing. Like, you do not mess with a sleeping dragon. Yeah. Because when you wake it up, you will feel the full force of its ferocity. Oh man, that's so cool. Oh, like just that thing though, though. I'm gonna leave the door open and people walk in and go. It's gotta be a trap. Yeah, like, why would but they? I don't blame them for thinking that way. 
Yeah. Why would it not be a trap? Why would the enemy be so stupid to leave the gate open? And that's what you're planning on. You're planning on the enemy being um, as smart as you are. It's similar to like the um, the story with the Trojan horse, and I'm like, why would your enemy walk up to you and go, "Here's a giant, like, two hundred foot tall horse as a, a gift, like as a peace yeah. offering"? It's like this seems suspicious, but it's so stupid you kind of have to go with it. I guess, I guess, but like, I think if I was um, like their opposition being given this giant horse, I'd probably be like, "What are you up to?" But at the same time, you had no reason to um, question it. I bet you would now. That's one of those tactics, though. It works once. Yeah, it works once. And then, like, nowadays, if you're in a war and you rock up with a 200-foot horse, people, people are going to be, be like, suspicious. Mm, I've heard of this one before. I love as well, though, Joe. That's the origins of the phrase, beware Greeks bearing gifts. I've never heard the phrase. Oh, it's, it's the thing of, like, Yo, don't, or don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Is like the probably the more um, well-known version of it. Oh, God. Actually, no, that's a different one, isn't it? Because that's um, uh, when people are giving you something, don't ask why, because then you might not like the reason. Oh, uh, right, okay, yeah. That well, I just love sense, that yeah. one, though, of just like, fuck it, open the door, and people are like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm scared. And there's like so many examples of that um, throughout the history of warfare. Uh, people just like the most ballsy plays that uh, worked. Like the other one was the Ghost Army. You ever heard about the Ghost Army? I don't think so. Uh, where it was an inflatable army <laughs> that the British had. They had inflatable tanks and cardboard tanks that you could see from above. And they looked like tanks and they would go on manoeuvres with them. So German spy planes thought that's where the army was. <laughs> and, they would, and they would base their um, defences on the battle formations they saw. Oh my God. So they do that and it like... Oh, I saw a chat one. I saw a picture on Twitter of something that like was like, it's so stupid, but it apparently worked. And it okay. was um, an air base in America, I think it was, that was covered okay. by just a giant sheet of material that made it look like it just a village from above. Yeah, that's the last one that worked. I'm sorry, the Ghost Army was a unit in World War II. It was an American unit. Ah, okay. And they even, even... Uh, <laughs> did fake radio transmissions <laughs> and they operated very close to the front lines you've got to sell it Carl you've got to sell it and they had inf- they had inflatable tanks <laughs> and that I- I'm pretty sure though like something happened similar with uh, the lead up to D-Day oh, there was right. something similar like Churchill did hmm uh, but like just the inflatable tanks carrying them around oh god that's amazing and like they fell for it why would you not and the insignia as well is so fucking sick. I've got to send it to you. Oh, okay. This, might be the, this is like the best fucking insignia for um, uh, a military universe scene. It's just a little spooky ghost. It's a little spooky ghost shooting lightning out of his hand. It's like, woohoo, you never see it coming. And it's the like the proper, just old school, like, little kid with a sheet over their head, tiny ghost. Yeah. It's the proper shit ghost that like, no one likes. Yeah. Oh, man. Isn't that good, though, that? That is. Oh, uh, ghost soldiers were encouraged. Ghost soldiers were encouraged to use their brains to mislead, deceive, and befuddle the German army. Many were recruited from art schools and advertising agencies. <laughs> oh man! Uh, they used equipment pioneered by British forces, ah, such as dummy tanks and artillery, fake aircraft, and giant speakers. Ah, right. Okay, so it was like used from the ideas and like remnants of uh, yeah. all the British things. So I was mixing two things up in my head there, where I believe in the lead-up to um, D-Day, 
Um, the British also employed a similar tactic where they had this to try and fool the Germans about which day D-Day was going to occur. Mm-hmm. And they also as well sent out multiple uh, things that got captured by spies and things like that, where it's like they um, leaked the day they were going to attack and where they were going to attack. And they were different every single time to spread the German um, forces as thin as possible. Yeah, and sometimes weren't like messages sent out um, using ciphers, but they were like dummy ciphers to try and throw them off from the center of the real ones and things like that. We, yeah, ciphers that they knew that the Germans had already um, uh, figured out. They'd send out then, fake messages with those ciphers to then the Germans would intercept the messages, think that they figured it out. And then it's like, oh no, we actually like, that was the fake message that you were meant to intercept. Yeah, and then you have it here that um, despite the fact that um, the Ghost Army consisted of only 1,100 soldiers, um, the contingent was able to um, give the illusion that they were a 30,000-man com- combat force. Fucking hell. So they are uh, like, so in 30,000 men with tanks and aircraft is going to be a scary thing. So obviously the Germans want to keep an eye on that. Yeah, and um, obviously like technology wouldn't have been as sophisticated that you could just like, nowadays you could fucking fly a drone over there and see what was going on. Yeah. But, you know, nearly 100 years ago, if you just like look through a scope and see what looks like an army of 30,000 men approaching oh. at a distance, it's like fucking hell. Uh, there's a couple of examples here. It's like military dummies. And it says here that um, at the battle of uh, La Ciotat, American aircraft dropped hundreds of dummy paratroopers just north of the town. So they just put dummies with parachutes and dropped them out of a plane. <laughs> So that the Germans thought they were, that's where they were landing. They were approaching uh, the from one the north, w- yeah. The one that I was thinking of, and the, like, this might be the coolest name for a military operation I've heard of, Operation Quicksilver. Oh, man. Uh, it was an attempt to mislead the Germans as to, to the location of the D-Day invasion using military, uh, dummy military equipment. Oh, uh, okay. And you know what? They look pretty good as well. Like, they're not, like, not going to stop someone who's like looking too closely. If you were flying above that, in an aircraft with the clouds, you'd think that was a real plane. Yeah, like, if you're viewing that shit from, what, hundreds of, like, I don't know, how, what, 30,000 feet in the air or whatever, um, I doubt that, like, older planes would fly that high, but still, you're thousands of metres up in the air and you see those cardboard cutouts of planes, you're just going to probably be like, oh, shit, yeah. Oh, uh, a naval example was the British battleship HMS Centurion, Obsolete and disarmed by World War II, it spent two years in the Mediterranean Sea, fitted with wooden guns to make the British naval forces in the area seem stronger than they were. <laughs> so he was just a shit with wooden guns. That's amazing. That's super fucking cool. Oh my. That as well like, reminds me of what might be like the, one of the potentially the scariest jobs I've heard of during World War II. Right. Uh, which was B-52 bombers and um, uh, similar ships. Mm. Uh, towards the end of the war, they literally ran out of guns to put in the back. Like, they didn't have the guns to put in so the back. So you had fake gunners? From... No, they're not fake gunners, no. They put uh, fucking broomsticks where the guns were, and the people at the back of the plane were told to pretend to shoot the broomsticks <laughs> because uh, fighter planes would turn away when they saw themselves being aimed at. Yeah. To avoid being hit because the guns on the back of like a bomber could take them out of the air. 
And imagine how fucking scared you'd be of, okay, we need you to fend off German fighter aces. What do I have to do it? And they give you a broomstick <laughs> and you're on a plane. Fight off a plane with a broomstick in the air. Oh, my God. Like, how scary would that be? That like, trust us, it'll work, it's fine. Like, really? Like, that's terrifying. And then um, a similar one is a guy called Owen J. Baggett. And uh, he is notable for one reason, and that is he might be the only person in uh, history or the history of World War II to have shot down a plane with a pistol. How? And his story is that he ejected from a plane and he was, like, parachuting down to the ground. And the story goes that um, uh, Japanese ships would, or Japanese aircraft would strafe people as they were, um, uh, like, parachuting down to the ground. Mm -hmm. And he was aware of this. So when he was doing it and he saw the, the Japanese aircraft coming towards him, he played dead oh. um, in his parachute. So he played dead. And what, uh, according to him, what happened was... A, um, a Japanese Zero, I think it was. It pulled down the canopy so it could and flew as slow as it possibly could to get a closer look at him. And as he went past, he pulled out his pistol and shot him. <laughs> and the guy crashed. And the re he didn't know if it was him. Uh, he didn't think that he actually shot him. He thought, oh, maybe the guy crashed because he got surprised. Mm -hmm. And something like that. He's like, there's no way I hit him with my pistol. But when he was in the prisoner of war camp, uh, the Japanese, um, like, higher-ups, took him aside and offered him the chance to commit ritual suicide. And he was like, why are you doing this? And, oh, because you fought with honour. And he was really confused about why until he heard through the grapevine from people who spoke Japanese in his prisoner of war camp. Yeah, have you heard that a guy in the woods was just found with a pistol bullet in his head? Because why is that um, a big deal? He was a pilot. <laughs> Someone hit, and when he told them his story, like the officials and like the higher ups are going oh it must have been that guy there oh my god that's fucking awesome like I mean fair play to the guy for thinking it up as well just, oh. just you, the only and it's one of those things where it is uh, it's contested whether or not he actually did it but at the same time fucking hell that's awesome that is and I always like to um, you know be an optimist and just assume that like, tales like that are true just because the idea of it is so cool. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm just reading about um, Operation Quicksilver here. So it was a, a, an attempt to obfuscate the actual scale and location that D-Day was going to take place. But we've got so, the overview here. So we have uh, Quicksilver was sub subdivided into six subplans numbered one through six. Quicksilver 1 was the basic story for Fortitude, which was like, you know, the fake name of the mission. The United States Army Group based in the southeast of England was to land in uh, Pai de Calais. Uh, Pas de Calais. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's French. <laughs> After German reserves were committed to Normandy. Quicksilver 2 was the radio deception plan of Quicksilver, involving the apparent movement of units from their true locations. Quicksilver 3 was the display of dummy landing aircraft, including associated similar, uh, simulated wireless traffic and signing of roads and special areas. The landing craft, built from wooden canvas, nicknamed Big Bobs, suffered from being too light, and the wind flipped many of them over. <laughs> what does that look like to the Germans when they're like, oh my god, the wind in Britain is so bad it's flipping over entire planes? Oh, that must be terrifying. And then they did stuff like uh, increased activity around Dover, giving the impression of extra tunnelling and things like that. Oh, right, yeah. And they also did a similar thing with um, during bombing runs. 
uh, during the Blitz, where uh, the blackout, if you remember that, it's probably something you learn about in school. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. Uh, everyone would turn their lights out and put like curtains over you, like curtains um, shut to make sure you couldn't see the lights. And what they would do is they'd go into the middle of like nowhere, mm-hmm. like the middle of like the British countryside, and just put um, lamps up. Yeah. To give the illusion that they were cities and targets for the Germans to bomb. Man, I mean, 2020's rough, but I'm glad I don't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, have you seen that, that comparison someone's done of like, oh, during World War Two, the British public were told um, to uh, cover up their lights and just like black out at night so the German bombs couldn't, German bombers couldn't spot the UK to protect everyone. Mm-hmm. Now replace um, just curtains with masks. Oh, God. It's like, yeah, because no one during World War Two was like, no, I want to watch my, f- I want to put my fucking light on because I want to read. You know what, Carl? I have the freedom to turn my lights on. Like everyone understood that, yeah, it might be a, of a, a hindrance to you, but you're doing it for a reason that's bigger than yourself. And it's weird as well, because the same people who bitch about having to wear a mask are the same people who never shut the fuck up about the war. <laughs> like they always do, they always say, like, oh man, like the, today's generations are all pussies, they couldn't afford during World War Two, and it ends up they were born in like 1950. Yeah. Because uh, as happened with um, one Robbie Coltrane, as he inserted... Um, his left and right foot all the way into his mouth while defending known transphobe J.K. Rowling. Oh, God, no. Did you see that? No. Because uh, J.K. Rowling, if people somehow like, missed the story, is a horrible transphobe. And I, a, a lot of the actors from it have been like, no, fuck J.K. Rowling, including Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint. Yeah. They've all been like, no, fuck J.K. Rowling, like, you know, trans rights are human rights. Yeah. Like, fuck her, she's awful. Robbie Coltrane, on the other hand, like, just had this really weird speech where he talks about how, oh, people today are just offended by everything. Oh, like, no. Today's generation couldn't have fought in World War Two, And it's like, Robbie, you were born in 1950. <laughs> you didn't fight in World War Two. The fuck are you talking about, you moron? Oh, dear God. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, I didn't realise he was actually born in 1950, yeah. No, he's, he's quite old, but it's that thing. Someone, though, like, really... Uh, he was in this TV show called Cracker. Uh, a TV like called Cracker. Mm. We just find the, let me just find the poster now. Uh, Cracker, Robbie Coltrane. Uh, so let me just find the poster for it. She's really funny. Uh, oh God, no. uh, if anyone uh, continues sirens, like that, that's on my end. Yeah, uh, the reason it's so funny because he was in a show called Cracker, and he's there making these really bad, re- like takes, mm. and it's just. The, the poster... I'm going to send you the poster. I want you to describe it to me, which is fucking awesome. Like the, the advertising for the thing is just this. To describe it to people. Oh, God. As he's... It's just um, Robbie Coltrane stood in what looks like, you know, the silhouette of just a very bland like, British background, like mm-hmm. just a couple of buildings behind him, some lampposts and that. It says, ITV DVD. You can't put the past behind you. Robbie Coltrane is Cracker. And then the, the logo <laughs> for Cracker is just like... It's just... It was awful. But it's just... awful. Uh, like, black Twitter was fucking tearing him apart for this. Like, this can't be real. Yeah. If he's just there, it's like, oh, this guy literally invoking the war of like, oh, kids today couldn't fight in the war despite never having fought in it himself. And it's like, you can't put the past behind you. <laughs> Robbie Coltrane is a fucking Cracker. Oh, oh dear God. This is the thing as well, where like, really like smarmy white people get mad about that. It's like, oh, it's a racial slur on par with the N word. 
No, it's not. Which is where you get that really great screenshot that is 100% real. Of it's some people on a TV show of like cracker or the N word, which one is worse? Oh, and you, there's like there's the black guy on the show. He's got his head in his fucking hands. Oh no! And it's just the one off. Like uh, here's a pro tip: the one that you won't even write in the Chiron. That's the one that's worse. Yeah. The one that you won't say. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, oh so God. good. It's like, how do you ever? Even have that thought in your head. Uh, the one that you refuse to write is probably the one that's worse. <laughs> oh, man. It's so good. Oh. So did you ever see that interview with, um, I think it's Samuel L. Jackson, where they're talking about Django Unchained, and they bring up... Um, you know what? This oh, went so... around recently, and I was about to bring up this exact same interview. Okay, go on. De- describe what happens. It's really fucking funny. Um, so it's... Just somebody, yeah, during the, like, marketing run of doing interviews for Django Unchained, um, some, I will point out, he's white, like, a white interviewer turns around to Samuel Jackson and is like, oh, so what do you think about the problematic use of the N-word in this film? And he's like, what word? He's like, well, you know the word. Well, say it. He's like, I, I don't want to say the word. He's like, I'll answer the question when you say the word. And he's just sat there looking directly at the guy, and the guy's like, well, I guess I'm not going to answer that question. He just looks around at, like, a clearly, like, producers or something, like, what do, what do I do? He's like, uh, just a rabbit, just in the headlights. I'm like, oh, my God. Help. Help. And then um, after a while, uh, Sam Jackson just, like, say the word, say the word. He's like, no. He backs down and goes, all right, we'll move on. And then mutters, it was a good question, though. And Sam Jackson's like, it wasn't a good question. If you can't say the word, how are we supposed to have a discussion about it? And I think that's all you need to say about it. Like, it's problematic use. Okay, then say it. Yep. I don't want to. There we go. That's why we have this in the movie, because it makes people uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, and I, I don't know the guy, but it was a similar interview um, play uh, kind of uh, situation where a guy is talking about it. Mm. And he goes like, "Oh man, like, uh, just you can't say anything these days. Like, people, you can't like people something like you can't say anything these days. Like the N word. He goes, you can say the N word. And the guy, like, the interview saying it is like white, but like the guy saying you can say it is black. Oh, okay. And the guy just goes like, oh, like, I, I, I need to track it down. It's gonna piss me off. Okay. Oh, because like the actual way it happened is so funny. Oh man, I just I do love that idea though that. It's like just Sam Jackson sitting there, just making this guy sweat. And he's like, go on, say it. And he, he must be loving life. Yeah. Of just like, oh, God. And it reminds me of, um, is it the one where the news anchor gets him and Lawrence Fishburne mixed up? Yes. Oh, and he, God. he's just loving it. Because he's that thing of, like, what I... They don't even look alike. No, not at all. They do not look alike at all. And oh, and Sam Jackson just sitting there. Like, Maybe you should have done your research on this one, mate. I'm not Lawrence Fishburne. He's like, uh, 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 uh. he's like, yeah, yeah. You fucked up. Oh god, I love it. I'm trying to find it now. Are you still uh, you still searching for this one, Carl? Like, Carl's going on a deep dive today. Oh, man. 
I think it's one where they're talking about like rap music or something like that. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he goes like, uh, why is it okay for a rapper to say the N-word, but not me? And the guy looks at him and goes, you can say it. Say it right now. And the person like immediately loses their shit. Like, uh, uh, say it. It's really easy. I'll say it with you if you want. Oh, God. And it's just like one of those things where like, I want to talk about this. Yeah. But I don't. Like, I, it's like, you can say it if you want. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to. Why not? And it's really funny. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody flinch at saying the word cracker. No, ever. Nope. And it's just like, if, if I turn around to someone and went, go on, say the word cracker, they'd just be like, oh, cracker. So the fact that you, anybody even have the thought of which one's worse. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really a fan of the specific one, but that's like the situation where they're having that old argument. You've always seen like, why can you say it in a song? Yeah. And I, if I can't say it on TV, it's like, all well, the context is different. Like, the people who do nothing but scream about context mm-hmm. in media completely ignore that fact when it comes to this. And I always... Um, that It kind of reminds me of, like, not obviously the same thing, not um, nothing, like, racially sensitive in any way. But I remember my um, cousins, when we were young, they used to watch a lot of, like, um, stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. And their way of being able to swear in front of, like our family was to do an impression of a comedian and quote them when they swore. Um, and they'd be like, yeah, but you can't swear. It's like, but I'm just quoting him. I'm just saying what he said. And it's like, uh, but you can't. And it's similar to, you know, the, oh, well, it was said in a song, so it's fine. I can say it. And it's like, no, you can't. Like, like, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Like, when you have to find, like, it goes all the way back to the discussion we had right at the start, like, representation. When you're reaching this hard for an excuse to do it, maybe just don't. Yeah. And, like, obviously that was, like, my cousins messing around as kids and just being like, oh, I got to say fuck. Well, how many people have you seen, um, like, try and use the defense of, oh, it's satire? Oh, and it's God, like, it's yeah. not. You're just being a dick. Yeah. Like, what's satirical about you? What are you satirizing right now? Oh, but Carl, it's ironic. I'm using ironically, do you know what ironic means? Well, uh, uh, it's ironic though, isn't it? No. To be fair, nobody knows what irony means. Not anymore, but it's just when you no. see people say something offensive or joke something offensively, it's, like, oh, it's a joke or it's ironic or it's sarcasm. It's a like, fuck off. Uh, that you, And then it used to be, it's a social experiment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it used to be, oh, it's a social experiment. So, no, you would have been a dick. <laughs> yeah. Experiments are done in a lot of dickheads. Like, don't go up to random people on the street and try that shit. Do you know what my favourite thing is, like, while searching for that, like, the various videos that are coming up? Oh, God, no. And, like, amongst, like, all the, the, the ones you expect of teacher gets caught using it on camera, random lady just screams the N-word at a guy trapped by his shopping. YouTuber like, randomly says it on stream or... Well, here's yeah. the thing. I I chucked in. I searched for newsroom says the N word. Oh. Try to find like that that interview. Yeah. With that, and it came up with like the, the similar example, but related to it is PewDiePie's apology video from three years ago. Ah. Which I think which I think says everything that needs to be said about that. Yeah. If when I search for the N word, PewDiePie is one of the first fucking response <laughs> results. Oh, I only said it. It was like, you know, it was a heated gamer moment. It's like, who hasn't, when they're frustrated, said the worst racial slur to exist and screamed it just into a microphone in front of an audience of a thousand children? 
that's like there's a lot of things to like you know um take from that but the fact that a that was part of your vocabulary in the first place but b the fact that you can't hold yourself back from saying horrible things while on stream in front of thousands of children or on a yeah. video in front of thousands of kids whatever it was yeah, but the one that was like really confusing for me is uh, everyone going up in arms about Obama saying it, and I remember this because it was a big news story. It's like Obama was on an, um, a podcast, okay, and he was just asked very bluntly about the history of racism in America. Yeah, and he just says it like I'm the fucking president, and I still get called. Oh like, right, like, okay. A word. And he says it very matter of factly, and everyone was really mad at him for it. It's like, why are you mad at me for saying it? Is there the people who will scream it at me? Yeah, why are you mad at me for bringing up the problem instead of people causing the problem? Yeah, it's, it's almost like people just don't want to confront that aspect of um, the world. No, they don't. And there's a lot of aspects of the world that people don't want to confront right now, Carl. It's also like really telling as well like, how many just screenshots I'm getting of John Tron. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of like John Tron things. Like, it really is telling when I'm searching for N-word. Like, to try and find the thing. And it's just, oh, Papa John's. John Tron, PewDiePie. Wait, Papa John's? Yeah, Papa John said Fucking it. Fucking hell. The guy who founded Papa John said it, and then when he was asked, said it wasn't a slur. Fuck and then his hell. story is amazing, because after he did that, he went, because like, like, he is the name and the face of the brand, yeah. and his own board of directors are like, you are poison. Like, the only thing people know about you now is like all these headlines about you screaming racial slurs. You need to step down. And he's like, I'm not fucking stepping down. I'm Papa John. Oh, God. And he bought Papa John's pizza every day for a month. And then went, they taste wrong. They taste bad since I left. They're ruining Papa John's. Yeah, I mean, Carl, didn't you know that like Fat Fiend's gotten worse? Since we turned the comments off. Uh, but like, we can use that as a jumping off. So the final thing we'll talk about, and it's an amazing story that brought to my attention. It's something we've talked about before, but it's like a little tidbit I was not aware of. Okay. Lucas, have you, do you remember when I talked about, uh, like many, many moons ago, uh, the Costco approach to um, just dealing with investors and like um, stockholders and things like that in regards to just like how much they pay their employees very well? Um, I very vaguely well. remember talking about Costco. Is this something to do with a hot dog price? Yes, it because is. Because I don't uh, know anything other than I've seen people talking about Costco hot dogs, and I'm very confused. Okay, so Costco hot dogs have been a hot dog and a drink combo has been one dollar fifty at Costco for thirty years. Or one pound fifty over here. Or one pound fifty in the UK. It's been that way for thirty years. And the story that I've told on the podcast before is that uh, the guy who founded Costco, the owner of it, uh, was like uh, the people who made the hot dogs tried to get him over a barrel because they realised, oh, we sell the hot dogs. Uh, so if we raise the wholesale price, there's no way then going to like go to another company because it's so synonymous with their brand. If they change the people who make the hot dogs, it's going to cause an uproar. Yeah. And they like, tried to play hardball with Costco and said, look, we're going to raise the wholesale price of our hot dogs. Fucking like it or lump it. And the response was that Costco bought the company who made the hot dogs. <laughs> And like it is, they sell them at a loss, and it is apparently a huge deal 
to investors and stockholders who have spent years and years and years like arguing with the founder of change the price of the hot dogs that you're losing money on every single one sold. He's like, no, fuck you. And also, and then, it's a great way to get people into your store because it's a famous which, fucking thing at this point. Which he understands. And there's also the story that we told was that um, during the recession about a decade ago, mm-hmm. Um, he was really being pressured to fire staff or lower their wages because Costco pays very, very well. Yeah. And it's like that very richy rich thing of, I know that if I pay my employees well, and if they've got job security, they'll work harder and they'll want the company to succeed because the success is directly related to their own success and their continued, uh, you know, just employment in this very good company. Yeah. And the quote that I love from him is, sometimes you just got to have a shit sandwich or something to that effect. Yeah. When stockholders were telling him about it, we're losing money, he went, sometimes you've got to eat a shit sandwich, deal with it. And what came about uh, recently is an old interview, but it's one that got on Earth quite recently, is that the current CEO of Costco went and spoke to the original founder of the chain about the Costco $1.50 hot dogs. Okay. Because they're losing a shit ton of money on it during um, the current pandemic or whatever. Yeah. And they have been for a while. And when he went to ask about raising the price of the hot dogs, the original founder told him, if you raise the price, I'll fucking kill you. (laughs) That's how important these $1.50 hot dogs are to Costco. The original founder's like, I'll fucking kill you if you change the price. Make it work. Figure out a way to do it where you don't raise the price. Oh, that's fucking incredible. Like, sell it Sell them at a loss, I don't care. If you raise the price, we're fucking done. He'll, I'll just straight up murder you. Yeah, I will fucking kill you. Oh, like, you've got to respect a man that wants to stick to his guns that hard. I, I love that so much. I respect it so deeply. Just the idea of, fuck you, no. Like, fuck you and your board members. Like, all of you millionaires and billionaires that own this company... Eat a bit of a shit sandwich. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like sometimes you gotta eat a shit sandwich. It's like fuck you. It's like that, that, again. It's the Richie Rich moment of um, when he's sat in the boardroom and they're talking about, well, profits are down. We need to trim the fat, and he means by trim the fat, you mean fire employees. And he goes on this big spiel, which set, like, and it's framed as being like you know, just like childlike idealism, mm-hmm. where he where he says that, um, yeah, a happy. Employee, an employee who's securing their job is happier, works harder, and wants the company to succeed. And it's frames like, oh, it's childlike naivety to expect that. And he looks at his big board of, boardroom full of people and says, "If you're going to trim the fat, I say we start right here." <laughs> yeah. And it just smash cuts to him on the front of a like Forbes magazine of uh, rich whiz kid, uh, like just lays down the law. Boardroom takes pay cut. Like, they, they did like, the, like, Nintendo Iwata moment. Yeah, where Iwata, if people don't know, like, it was um, after the, is it the Wii U, it flopped. I think it was during the middle of, like, the Wii U's life cycle where, yeah, Nintendo uh, sales were down significantly, especially compared to the previous era of the Wii and DS, just killing it. Like, they, like, Iwata, the CEO, and uh, he took a 50% pay cut, and many other like higher uh, paid members of Nintendo took, I think it was a thirty percent pay cut as well, so that nobody had to get fired. so that they didn't have to fire like lower members of staff. Yeah, and like it was look, we can afford to take a pay cut for a year in order to maintain our level of staff at the way it is now. 
And it says a lot that a few um, board members and CEOs and stuff were, ma- were mad about can it. take a like a fifty percent pay cut. Be like, oh. we can live happily on this money, and nobody has to get fired. And then you've got people like yeah. fucking Bobby Kotick, like, nah, give me more bonuses. Yeah, I could take a fifty percent pay cut and still be fine. It says it all on it. So it's like, oh, you're a billionaire. Uh, what would be better, you taking a pay cut this year or like five and eight hundred people now get rid? Yeah, but just that thing though of uh, it's like the the naivety of a child to be like, oh, you can't run a company like this. It's like you fucking can. You actually can. You super. You actually actually super super can. And it's um, reminds me a little bit of something else I saw that was going around. It's um, a quote from uh, One Hundred and One Dalmatians that I didn't remember, but it's like. It's so on point, and it is from Cruella Deville, and she's talking to like the the girl from that movie, and just says to her, "Marriage has claimed the lives of more women than war and famine combined. You've got talent, darling, use it." Mm. And the discussion around that is, why is this a line being said by a villain? It makes so much sense. Yeah. And the top response is uh, because they want that they want the idea that women should live their own lives and not have to be subservient to a man to seem like only something a crazy person who wants to make a puppy coat would say. Yeah. Like, how dare you want to put your career before just living a nice, happy family life? Mm-hmm. How dare you? And I just like, but it's the thing about, where, yeah, we're going to frame it as if it's something that only... Like a clearly insane woman would ever think. Like, a clearly insane woman that, bear in mind, runs a massively successful company. Even if she is insane. Oh, I just thought that was just really, like, thinking, why, why is this something being fra- Like, why is the villain saying this? It makes so much fucking sense. Yes. And, like, that's not something that I've um, remembered was in that film, but I think that would maybe have a different reaction if something like that was said by a villain in a film release now. I'd like to think the reaction would be a bit different. You'd hope so. But I just love that, though, of, like, when the villain is, like, 100% right. Yeah. The villain 100% has a point in that um, argument of, yeah, why is it a bad thing that I don't give a fuck about men? I want to put my... I'm putting myself before Mm -hmm. men. And she says that thing directly to her, like, you have talent, don't waste it. And that's, the, that's like the thing the villain's telling you. Yeah, and it's, oh, God. Carl, the woman has to think of nothing but getting a man. She has to fall in love. I know, fuck you. <sighs> anyway, I think we can call it there for today. It's just like, you know what, sometimes eat a shit sandwich, fuck you. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, God. So, Lucas, you've got anything you want to promote for people? Do that, that self Yeah, you know, talking about, like, trying to just make some success for yourself, I guess. I uh, I do have some things I always like to plug. And that is just that you can find me doing uh, gaming things on YouTube and Twitch. I am yeah. Legend of Kanto. Uh, and, uh, yeah, go check me out. Like, me and Carl play lots of games. We stream lots of games. And I'm also on Carl's gaming channel. So, Carl, you can tell us about that. Um, yeah, just Google my name. There we go. That's it. That's all it's you literally need. just Carl Smallwood on YouTube, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I'm glad I got that one. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you very much.